Great to be here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us. AJC.com. We'll talk with Daryl about uh, the Atlanta Falcons uh, opening up against the uh, the Eagles uh, coming up this weekend. He will join us in hour number two. Also, Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll look at Georgia. We'll look at uh, UAB this weekend. And certainly the news on JT Daniels reportedly dealing with an oblique inj- injury. Could be questionable for UAB, which means could see a lot of Carson Beck this week. Uh, ben, and if this was going to be an issue, obviously this is a good week for Georgia to have it happen. Uh, you just beat Clemson. Now you're playing UAB, who is a solid program, but certainly one that Georgia, as the number two team in the country, should be able to uh, to, to knock off, even with, uh, if they have to go to it, their backup quarterback. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you do feel bad for a guy like JT Daniels, who Kevin had to deal with the injury bug, uh, you know, coming into his uh, stint when he first transferred from USC to, uh, to Georgia, but... I think, yeah, I think I don't think nobody's afraid of UAB. UAB is a upstart, a, a really, really good program, but not at the level that uh, Georgia is. I know that people think, hey, is it going to be a Stetson Bennett sighting? Not, yeah, on the sideline. I don't see Stetson Bennett getting one snap. If you didn't get a chance to see Stetson Bennett in 2020, you will not get a chance to see him in 2021. Carson Beck will get to go out there and show Georgia fans why they should feel good about the future because he's a guy that can definitely push the ball down the field. But yeah, I. Oblique, oblique um, injuries are tough, especially with a guy, you know, especially at the quarterback position, the way you got to, you know, be able to utilize your obliques to step into those throws. But, yeah, Kevin, if you're ever going to have a week to, you know, not play, if you are to start a quarterback for Georgia, it's going to be a team like UAB. You're still bringing that defense. You're still bringing that, uh, that offensive line, still bringing that run game. But, yeah, uh, he'll get a uh, – JT Daniels will get a couple of weeks to rest up. Because that that schedule starts getting—I don't want to say it gets tougher, but it does get tougher than these first two games after week two. But JT will get a chance to kind of like rest up a little bit and get ready for week three. Yeah, and again, uh, he may play, but it sounds like more of a precautionary thing uh, than anything else. And as we said, you should be able to beat UAB even if you have to go with Carson Beck, and it's a good uh, thing as well, Ben, to get that backup quarterback some reps so that if something does happen, you're not walking into a situation cold with a guy who hasn't really played all that much. Uh, You also get some other news and notes. Uh, The Big 12, uh, the expectation they are looking to add uh, three members from the American Athletic Conference plus independent currently BYU. A lot of talk out there and confirmed that Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, and BYU have all formerly applied to join the Big 12 Conference. What say you, been about, I mean, there's no way we all do that. You're not going to be able to replace Oklahoma and Texas. If I'm Oklahoma State, if I'm Texas Tech, if I'm Kansas State, are those four schools enough to make me feel good about what's left over? You hope so. You hope so. But, but Kevin, I, I, I give more credit to the Big 12 for not packing up, you know, and just, you know, going home, saying, look, we're going to just dissolve. You know, we, we no longer have Texas A&M, no longer got Oklahoma, no longer got Texas, uh, you know, no longer got, quote, Missouri, so let us move on. No, they say, look, let's salvage this. The Big 12 has a lot of – has a is a tradition-rich uh, conference. So how who can we add? Well, let's take let, – let's go to these upstart programs that seem to be on the rise, UCF. You know they're 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 the, they're the team that everybody seems to just dislike now. Cincinnati, you look at how well you know uh, they've been playing. BYU kind of has that not Notre Dame, Kevin, but has that brand equity that comes with them. They got a fan base, and obviously you get a team like Houston to where I mean, look, you want to be able to try to be a part of something that's going to bring you on and try to give you those highlights. But think about this, Kevin. This is about location. You getting some 
you know, I mean, I'm just saying Houston is a pretty big market that you get a chance to say, hey, man, you know, we in here now, you know, with the Big 12 because we got to compete with the big bad SEC. So now you can compete with Austin and, I, you know, and outside of Dallas and College Station, these different things. But UCF, Orlando, pretty, I mean, pretty nice size, you know, uh, you know, like pretty, well, de- definitely a good tourist attraction. But you're going to get that, you're going to get that portion of Florida to where they kind of like cater to a UCF. For those of you who don't know, they already think they're the biggest brand in the state of Florida, like, which I, I would hope that everybody thinks that way. And then you, and as I mentioned, BYU with the, with the prestige and, you know, Cincinnati and another big time, you know, city, big time location. So yeah, Kevin, I, I like the move and I like the fact that the big 12, maybe because of what the PAC 12 said, Hey, we don't want to talk about no alliances. We trying to get the PAC 12, keep us intact. So yeah, I like the fact that the big 12 didn't dissolve. They didn't just go away. They're adding four new teams, four new locations, and I don't know if it I don't know if it feels the need, Kevin, that you lose it with a Texas and Oklahoma, but it definitely makes it so that you realize, hey man, we're gonna be here to stay for a while. We're not gonna let old the Longhorns and the Sooners make us just, you know, dissolve all together. Yeah, I, I, and again, I think when you look at it on the surface, you would say, Well, this doesn't make any sense. But for the reasons you just broke down, college football and college athletics, it's not about what makes regional sense. It's about, I mean, I'm sorry. Oklahoma is not in the southeastern portion of the United States. I mean, unless you get kind of loosely defining where you want to define as southeastern, Oklahoma's not there. Texas, not really there. But you've expanded out there. Why? For the SEC, I don't think it's as much about markets as it is brands. Uh, SEC has got the brands of football uh, in the Alabamas, the Floridas, the Georgias. I mean, you've got state flagship schools all over, and you just added two more. So you've got the brands of college football. That has national appeal. You don't need media markets. Big 12, I think you succinctly put it, Ben, you get Cincinnati. That's the Ohio, state of Ohio. You get Houston, big TV market. Central Florida with Orlando, big uh, market there. As you said, a tourist attraction, a place people want to go, a place students want to go. And I was just looking it up. People don't understand this when they think about it because you're like, oh, Florida's got to be. No, the largest university in the country, I believe it's the country, in terms of undergrads, the largest school in enrollment in the country is Central Florida. I think they have over 65,000 undergrads there at Central Florida. Now, do they all live on campus? No. A lot of commuter stuff, but bottom line is 60. I think it's 65,000, just looking it up this week, it's 65,000 undergrads. That's a large student population. That is what? Potential future fans. Uh, if they go there, they have some tie to it, say, look, maybe I should get involved, excited about watching the football program, the basketball program, whatever, uh, moving forward. That is big. And as you said, BYU, uh, I mean, if you've been in the state of Utah, yep, there's Utah and then there's BYU, which I think a comparison to Notre Dame on some fronts is accurate. Why? They have their own TV network. They have BYU TV. They have a bought-in fan base because BYU, Mormon University, Mormons uh, obviously uh, are tied directly to BYU with the the Mormon missions and things of that nature. And you have a large Mormon population there in Utah, and they are tied directly. Man, we we like BYU. Why? Because it's tied directly to to our to our faith to, to Mormon. Kind of like Notre Dame Catholic. Are all the players Catholic? Who knows? But the Catholic folks really tied into uh, to Notre Dame on a national level, and I think you get some of that with uh, with BYU coming in. It's not only the same level, but it's kind of a similar time. So I think for 
decent schools to choose from. If you, I mean, you can't replace Texas and Oklahoma from that standpoint, but in terms of your footprint, in terms of getting eyeballs on your product, you have certainly uh, done a better job in that area of expansion uh, if this comes to pass, which it looks like they've all applied for membership. So uh, I think about as good as you could do. About the only other thing I could think of, and you are still very largely Texas-based, would be an SMU, which is in Dallas, but you kind of got TCU, which is Fort Worth, so you got one side of this big city to the other. I mean, you'd basically have it covered twice. Um, that would have been the only other one that I think, in terms of just huge markets, would have been a good tie-in. So I think uh, Big 12 with this one actually did okay. I know people talked about Memphis as an athletic program, very solid. I don't know what they bring to the table in terms of media exposure and markets and things of that nature. So I, I think for the uh, for the Big 12, this is actually not not a bad job here at trying to bring some folks in to help your conference out. Now, again, if I'm Oklahoma State, am I excited about it? I don't know. Maybe in football, I feel like I can win a lot uh, now with, with, with some of these teams potentially coming in and Oklahoma and Texas moving out, but we shall see. Well, yeah, Kevin, and I think you bring up a good point when you're talking about these locations, right? Because you can't compete with the SEC with brand equity. Dude, these are the biggest brands you know, in college football, and they say, okay, well, this is about branding. But what it really says if you UCF, Cincinnati, you know, BYU, you know, uh, you know what it, Houston, it's saying, hey, man, people are noticing us outside of, you know, people are noticing us with what we were doing in our individual conferences because this is about invite only, right? This is about, I mean, did you get invited? I mean, when's the last time Texas and Oklahoma were put in a position to where they couldn't say no? They didn't dictate terms. Hey, do you want to come over here or not? And then after that, it's okay, the Big 12 goes, who do we get? Like you said, Cincinnati, you got the whole state of Ohio, big city in, in Ohio, BYU, brand equity like you would not. Listen, if you go to Utah, if you go on, in the state of Utah, it's like in the state of Mississippi. If if you're from Mississippi, you want to play for Ole Miss or you want to play for Mississippi State, period. Like, that is that is the creme de la creme. Utah, you want to play with, you know, you the user, you want to play at BYU. If you're talking about, if you're talking about a team like UCF, UCF has a – has a recognized national championship. Like the NCAA recognize, I don't know what that means, but they recognize them as a national champion. Fine. And once again, you know, you talk, you talk, you talk about, you talk about, you know, uh, brand equity, Kevin. I mean, this, I mean, Orlando, what, two, three million people in there. I did not know UCF was that freaking big. 65. I'll look now, it up officially. I know it, it's one of the largest, if not, I think it is the largest. I did look it up this weekend. And I want to say that uh, UCF is the the largest. Uh, well, yeah, I mean that, 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 those are going to be some. I mean, you get a chance to have some premier games. You all obviously location doesn't matter anymore. It's just the conference. It don't matter where you are. I mean, the fact that the Big Twelve going to span from Utah all the way to freaking Florida is going to be crazy. But if I can't beat you as far as like what you do with branding, I can beat you with you know location. You know, uh, in, the, in these big time cities. So maybe the Big Twelve is taking a book out of. You know, I take you know, uh, looking at how the, uh, the the ACC does it, Kevin. Because the ACC is more big cities: Atlanta, Boston, Miami. You know, Chapel Hill and things of that nature. But uh, okay, I like here we go. Move, I, really I, I I I was close. Uh, as of 2017, so this is obviously outdated data that I'm quoting. Central Florida had a total enrollment of 66,183. Oh. That's huge. 66,000 66, in 2017? <laughs> so what? Now they probably what? I mean, I mean they can still be around that number, but still, uh, yeah, that's a lot of people at the end of the day. I mean, look, I, I didn't, obviously didn't grow up in the state of Florida, man. UCF is a brand 
on the rise. I'm not going to take anything away from what they're doing right now. Uh, Gus Malzahn, he definitely helps that brand a lot because he that's that's another. So yeah, Kevin, listen, listen. Shout out to the Big Twelve. They ain't, like I said, they ain't just packing because everybody left them for dead, right, Kevin? Hey man, what we gonna do? Where we gonna go? No, instead of us packing up, how we, how about we invite some people to the party? So Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, you know, uh, BYU, you know, we'll it. Kevin, it always starts with that we have to put in our paperwork yet. It's it's in. I know the Cincinnati's ass or UCF is in. The Big 12 is expanding. Hopefully, you know, UCF, you know, it'll add to their brand equity because hopefully they can get them a real national championship and not a recognized national championship. <laughs> hey, but shout out to all those those four teams in the Big 12, you know, for like I said, for understanding that they want to they keep that tradition alive. We've got so much to get to here on the show. Big weekend in college football for several teams and also the NFL getting started tonight uh, with the defending champs and Dallas uh, squaring off. We'll get to that coming up as well. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well. We'll look at some of the prove-it games coming up this weekend in college football next here on 3 and Out. End of college football just passed. We look ahead, though, Ben. And week one, if it goes well for you, everything's looking good. You're feeling good. If it doesn't go uh, well for you, oftentimes you find yourself in, hey, now we got to prove some things to some people. we got to listen to some games where I think that that may be out there. None more so, I think you and I have a couple of games that I think we are kind of lockstep in. Tennessee this week, prove it. Okay, you, you had a, a win in, in week one against Bowling Green. No disrespect to... Bowling Green, but that's a game on SEC talent alone. You should probably win. They looked all right. Uh, kind of a little sluggish in the first half. End up with a nice win. Now they've got Pitt. They're an underdog at home in Neyland Stadium, Ben. Is this a week where we kind of find out where Josh Heupel is with that hurry-up offense? And I know when you think about Josh Heupel's offense, you think hurry up and throw, hurry up and throw, hurry up and throw. But they ran the ball really well uh, last week. Is this a week where prove it that you are actually what we saw last week in week one? I think so. I think so. And I give Tennessee a lot of credit. And it's funny, it's funny, Kevin. Bowling Green didn't look the part, so we giving Tennessee credit when we we haven't done that in some years. It's been a while since Tennessee kind of went out there and had that had their way uh, with a team. This is the same. Well, this isn't this isn't the same cast of characters, but this is the same Tennessee team that lost to Georgia State two years ago at home, first game of the year. But you're gonna learn a lot about Tennessee and uh, Josh Hopper's uh, offense because Pitt is gonna bring a defense. Like Pitt plays really, really good defense, and Tennessee is trying to get back to that old school way of ground and pound. They want to run the football. They know that it's gonna take the it's gonna take the uh, the passing game a little bit of time to kind of catch up to the running game. But I mean, Kevin, this is what you want: old school smash mouth. It's going to be reestablishing the line of scrimmage. Coach Coach Hyper, once again, and I hate to say this, you don't really know how the Tennessee faithful are until you start struggling. Boy, they will turn on you. A hundred thousand, you know, uh, you know, uh, barking and screaming fans out there getting mad because you ain't getting it done. But, Kevin, I, I don't want to take away from what Tennessee did last week. It's been a long time since Tennessee has passed something to look forward to. But, you know, just like I know, Kevin, Tennessee ball fan, they – they high five each other after the game, but guess what? But guess what was still available? That cliff. Yep, you right there on the cliff, ready to just you know jump off. But I'm I'm a, I'm gonna I'm save my I'm gonna save my you know opinions for them for them balls after the game. But yes, Kevin, if, if Pittsburgh dominates Tennessee, does it wipe away what they did week one against Bowling Green? 
I think maybe a little bit because I think you're talking about Tennessee ultimately trying to win in the SEC. When I look at Pitt uh, right now, and, and again, this is kind of a, a comparison game, right? If you look at Pitt, where would you put Pitt along the likes of a Mizzou or a Kentucky? I think they're probably right in that line uh, of, of competitiveness. And if Pitt gets after you and slows you down, what does that mean for the likes of uh, when you're playing, certainly Alabama in the crossover, but when you're playing your uh, potential South Carolinas who's got a solid defense, Kentucky, Mizzou, teams of that nature, are you able to still go out there and execute? Now, obviously, they'll continue to try to get better. But, again, much of the offseason script about Tennessee was so many people transferred out of the program, what is left inside the program. And, again, I think a win over Bowling Green showed me a little bit. But it didn't show me enough to make me think, oh, Josh Heupel's got this thing rocking and rolling. I think this will be a big test to kind of either validate some of those things we saw in week one or maybe say, okay, this is maybe more of what we thought uh, we'd see from Tennessee uh, throughout the season. Still got some work to do. I, I, I really think Pitt, a solid team that a lot of people after the week the ACC had probably not given a lot of credence to. But uh, this is not going to be a walk in the park for, for Tennessee. I think Pitt's coming in there to, to win the football game for sure. Another team I think – I don't know. It's on the list, but I don't know if they really have to prove anything necessarily. They lost a tough game on the road in which they didn't play well, and that's North Carolina. Down to 24th in the rankings. They got Georgia State. I don't know if this is necessarily a prove-it game for them as much as it is just have a bounce-back game. Just just bounce back and say, look, last week was tough. Lost on the road. Hostile environment. Sold out elbow-to-elbow Lane Stadium. uh, Inner Sandman blasting, and you just didn't handle it well. I mean, people forget, Ben. Most of these guys that are playing college football last year played in front of nobody or about a th- not even a third of what was there on uh, the opening weekend in some of these games. That's a little bit different, playing in front of seven, 8,000 people as opposed to 70,000, 80,000 people uh, who are all loud and screaming and, and, and ready to see football live for the first time in, in over a year in some cases. So I think North Carolina, look, just go out and show the promise that – Everybody thought you had preseason against Georgia State, who, quite frankly, I know we we we, we talked uh, on the show about Georgia State uh, with, with with their coach last week, and they got trounced by Army. This should this should not be close. This should not be close. And and I think if it is, maybe more questions abound about North Carolina. But I don't think it's a prove it weekend to me. It's a prove it weekend to Sam Howell. And when I say proven weekend to Sam Howell is, Sam Howell is a Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, finalist. Sam Howell has put up numbers in his first two years that we haven't seen the likes of in a long time, uh, you know, outside of what the quarterbacks do at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence of the world and Deshaun Watson of the world. But, I mean, Kevin, Sam Howell, he, he has a problem with throwing the ball to the other team. I'm not saying Georgia State defense, you know, with Virginia Tech's, but if I'm Georgia State, I'm thinking, hey, he will throw it to us. If we, if we make those running receivers have to run some routes, maybe we can get a couple of picks off of Sam Howell. Now, do I think do I think that uh, Georgia State going to win this game? No. But, Kevin, this is a how we, how you win game, not that you win. Because now, if Georgia State makes a th- makes a game out of this, do we – same thing I said about Tennessee beating Gardner-Webb. Do we go – I mean, uh, Bowling Green, do we go back and look at uh, North Carolina and say, well, maybe – I mean – are they a good team? Because I know everybody's picking them because of what they've done and the quarterback. So if Georgia State can make this a game third, fourth quarter, are we looking back saying, well, maybe North Carolina is because they don't got that two-headed monster at running at running back this year. The Army Brown, those receivers are gone. The people thought, okay, different different set of ca- different cast, offensive line, Sam Howell, no problem. It might be a big problem. Don't think Georgia Tech is on is going to be upsetting North Carolina, but. 
If those DBs can make those receivers, you know, run a bad route, you get a couple of picks. Kevin, you know, that favors Georgia, Georgia State. Well, I mean, Georgia State, we talked to Sean Elliott last week, and I know they had some people saying maybe preseason they might be a team that could win their Eastern Division in the, in the Sun Belt. Not after first week. It just certainly doesn't look so. Maybe it's a prove-it weekend for them uh, that they can compete at a, uh, at a high level. Miami at App State, I, I, again, I think we're reading Miami all wrong and that they got obliterated by – by Alabama, and that's going to happen to pretty much anybody that plays Alabama. I think, though, this is a this is not a prove-it weekend. This is a don't-slide weekend. Like, Don't let what happened to Alabama, which 99.9% of the people that didn't play for Miami or Miami fans thought was going to happen. It happened. Now you can turn around and not lose to App State. App State, a very good football program, Ben. I don't know if it's a prove-it weekend for Miami because last week was bad. I think it's a get-back-on-track weekend for them. Uh, in my I agree. I do. But, 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 but Kevin Diffin of Georgia State, which once again, that Sun Belt is a fun belt. Oh, App can beat Miami. Like, make, make no mistake about this. App is good enough. They, they might not be as talented as Miami, but as far as like, this is the same App team, I think a couple of years ago, should have beat, beat Penn State. Just kind of lost it at the end of the game. So App gets tired of not being talked about in the Sun Belt. It's all about, you know, I mean, it's all about Coast Carolina, all about Louisiana. What about us? I mean, the class of the, the class of the Sun Belt used to be App, and now you let Coast Carolina catch you, Louisiana catch you. So Miami, I know y'all got beat by Alabama. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Miami. Welcome to the list of everybody gets beat by Alabama. Don't let that what happened last week first winners this week. Because you'll find yourself standing up at an 0-2 record. And because and people are like, wait a minute, man. App is that good? Yes. App runs the football. They can throw the football. They play solid defense. So, De'Ara King, come up in there playing you want to. And y'all boys going to be standing at another L because App is good enough to beat outside of Alabama, maybe Georgia, maybe Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Certain They can beat by anybody you put, on, put them on the schedule with. Yeah, I, t- I certainly think so. Then, uh, two games left here, Ben. I want to hit real quick. I think two of the more interesting games in week one, Mizzou at Kentucky. This is a prove-it game for both of those programs. Can you be a consistent contender in the East? If you're going to say, and we've heard it preseason about both these teams, we can compete with Florida. We can possibly put ourselves in a position to be number two behind Georgia. Well, you can't lose to Kentucky. You can't lose to Missouri if you're either one of these teams. I think this is a big show-me weekend for both those, and should be a great quarterback game with Will Levis, Connor Basilak, uh, with those two quarterbacks this weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, Kevin, the thing about Missouri and Kentucky, they always fight for something different, right? Not just trying to make sure they keep pace in the East, but make sure they, you know, they're keeping that respect factor up. I mean, Will Levis, I mean, what the kid did last week, I mean, 367 yards, four touchdowns, and the running game was solid. I think it's, I think it's going to come down to scheme. I mean, you know, you know that Kentucky they're going to be they're going to want to be balanced. And, and Kentucky, ladies and gentlemen, they have a passing game. Kentucky's Achilles heel has always been can they throw the football consistently? Check. With Mizzou, it's hey man, y'all in the SEC, man. What type of team are y'all all week in and week out? So yeah, Kevin, very underrated game. Was probably going to end up being a four quarter game. I'm looking forward to seeing that Kentucky Mizzou. I mean, who? When's the last time you looked forward to see a Kentucky or Mizzou game? They just have to be playing each other. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think this would be. It's going to be a good one. I think again. If you're looking for a game, I've said, kind of off the radar, that is one. This one might be the next one. NC State at Mississippi State there in Starkville. I think NC State trying to prove 
Prove it to me that you can contend in the Atlantic. Because you look at it, everybody's talking about Florida State. Well, maybe it was Louisville. NC State's that team that's kind of sitting there. It's like, hey, you can draw 60,000, 65,000 uh, to your 70,000 to your home games. you got a rabid fan base, but you never put it together to get over the top. Can you go on the road and beat an SEC team uh, in the West? I think that would be huge if they can. And for Mississippi State, obviously, man, Mike Leach survived a scare week one. Prove that you actually can contend uh, in the East. If you would have lost last week, potentially lose this week, I don't think it bodes well when you start jumping into the West uh, that you still have out there in front of you on the schedule. North Carolina State is a very, very dangerous team, and uh, real similar to Mississippi State, they always, you know what I'm saying, scratching and calling for, you know, for respectability. But, but Kevin, man, Mississippi State, they ought to be worried. The thing about Mike Leach, he's, he's very he's, – he's, he's, he's too overconfident for an average team right now. Mississippi State is not a good team right now. Definitely not the best team in their state. Right now, so yeah, NC State, they want to prove that last week wasn't a fluke. And Mississippi State, they better get on track quick because North Carolina State, them boys play, them boys play all three phases of football. And while, that, and while the post-game press conference ain't going to be much to talk about the coach doing, I don't want to talk. I'll let my team do the talking on the field, Kevin. Might be, might, might be another upset. It might be, it might be a UCLA, LSU with another SEC West team going down. It'll be interesting to see. That's a, another, again, a great one coming up this weekend in Stark Vegas. We've got more to come. NFL is back tonight. A lot of folks excited about that. We'll have, uh, obviously, this weekend, Trevor Lawrence uh, with his debut, along with Urban Meyer, his debut as an NFL head coach. We'll hit all of that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you back here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you were with us. Here's the opening night of the NFL. I know it's not the same as the opening Saturday of college football, Ben, but it's still a lot of folks uh, very geeked up uh, to see the NFL get started. We'll see the debuts uh, this weekend of Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Uh, much anticipated. How do you think it fares for them? They're going up in division against a uh, Houston team that's obviously, you know, kind of dealing with a lot of stuff. <laughs> if to put it nicely, uh, is that a good opener for them? Uh, a chance for them to come out and get a win? I know last year Jacksonville won the first game, didn't win anymore. But is this an opportunity for them to to come out and and win in week one? I think it is. I think it is, Kevin. But the, what scares you about a Houston a Houston Texas team is right. We we just riding them off because they because they got Tyrod Taylor. You know, they don't got the flash names. No longer got Honey Badger. No longer, no, no more Jadavion Kind of no more J.J. Watt. Just a bunch of guys that scratch and claw to try to get a, get a win. And if you're Jacksonville, the average age of your team is 25 and younger. 25, 24. 20. That's not a recipe for success. How do I know? Well, you know, I mean, when I was in the NFL, my first year, the average age was 23. We went, we went 4 and 12. Now the next year the average age was twenty four, so we did get a little older. We went five and eleven. So, I, I, so Kevin, I will say it does give him a chance, but once again, you're still running out of a rookie quarterback. You're still running out of kind of like a so-so offensive line. Still got a rookie head coach, Urban Meyer, who who be forgetting. Hey man, that's James Robinson right there. I mean, that's I mean, you know, what I'm saying that's not that's not freaking Travis Eze. That's not that's not Percy Harvin back there. But if you're Jacksonville, you gotta you gotta understand that. Learning how to win in the NFL is tough because learning how to win is a consistent, process-driven type thing. Jacksonville won one game. And a lot of those guys on the team this year were on the team last year. Your key positions were on the team last year. Not So the only thing you've added, you've added a quarterback. Check, same running back. Okay, same offensive line. 
same defense, so to speak. You've added, you know, you've added Griffin at, at the other quarterbacks about to go alongside CJ Henderson. Still got Chase Sun, still got, you know, Josh Allen, those guys. So, so Kevin, while it's a new year, you got to dust the rust. Because if you lose to Houston, just say you lose to Houston, where does the confidence come from then? You're not going to beat Tennessee. I mean, while Carson Wentz might not be the answer, it ain't Trevor Lawrence don't got to worry about Carson Wentz. He plays quarterback. You got to worry about that defense. And the coach defense got Darius, Darius Leonard, the highest paid linebacker in NFL history, South Carolina State boy. So, yeah, I do think that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to show some promise. He definitely got a big arm. But he's going to have to learn how to get that ball out quick because that offensive line for Jacksonville, that ain't, that ain't the business. And if, he, if they don't find a way to switch up to go to more of a quick passing game, it's going to be a long season you know, for the man with the long, with the long, with the long, uh, with strawberry locks back there, that long hair he got back there. Well, I mean, we've already seen what happens, right? Joe Burrow is an example of that. You get a great young quarterback running an offense that you can't protect him in, and he didn't make it. I mean, I mean, he's coming back, but he didn't make it the season. Do you feel like Urban Meyer's smart enough to? I say smart enough, as it's not disrespectful, but uh, is he smart enough to say I'm going to put up? a scheme that at least allows my quarterback the chance to stay upright. Because, again, I know people were saying what Cincinnati did to Joe Burrow last year was just downright criminal, uh, letting him get beat up uh, the way he did. If he can take pride out of it, he will. If he, if he can get this pride out of the – look, Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer, but not in the NFL. Like, Urban Meyer is one of the most recognizable, famous coaches of all time. What he did in college is unprecedented. One of the greatest college football – Hall of Famer. But Kevin, you got to let college go. Not just as players, but coaches too. Like the biggest thing, it's like getting to college and you're a big time recruit. So, I mean, everybody here was a big time recruit. I, somebody go, what were you? I was Mr. Georgia. Guess what? He was Mr. Florida. He was Mr. Texas. Who cares? So for Urban, it's about adjusting. It's about letting those guys that's been around in the NFL kind of show him the ropes and say, coach, you can't go for it on fourth down consistently in the NFL. Why? Because they gave you three downs to get a first down, and you didn't do it. You're going to take one. So I think if Urban could just adjust, let the game come to him, and understand that ain't Penn State running out there. That ain't Ohio. That, that, that ain't Michigan State. That's Houston, Texas. So for those people that think the Houston, Texas are a, are a, a one of 32 NFL franchises, they can beat anybody they own the field with because they got good enough players to do it. So if Urban can adjust, Kevin – and get past this, do you know who I am? Which I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> I, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think you'll be fine because the, the thing about the NFL that people don't get is everybody's everybody's going to be humbled in some way. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was the number one receiver in football in 2019. Didn't play in 2020. When they asked Jamar Chase why he dropping the ball, he quote said, a, a NFL football is harder to catch because it doesn't got white lines. Did you? He said that out loud. I'm like, Jamar, Jamar. Like, really? Like, just say, hey, man, I'm not – I'm telling you, Jamar Chase, I hope we have a good year because, Kevin, could you imagine a quarterback saying, I can't really throw it, man, because the lace is a little bit – no, it's not. Just say I'm not playing well. So, we'll see what happens. But I do think uh, Jacksonville got good of the shot as any. And, I, and I, Kevin, I know you mentioned uh, Thursday night tonight, Tampa Bay, Dallas, uh, you know uh, – NFL kickoff, it should be a good one. I got a chance to see Dak and those guys and hard knocks. And I will say this. 
out of all the hard knocks I've ever seen, this was the most boring hard knocks you ever seen in your life because they ain't got no freaking personality. It was the Zeke Dak show. How can we not talk about Zeke, not talk about Zach? I mean, a Dak, not talk, not talk about Mika, Mika Parsons, the number one overall pick from Penn State. He's already talking trans to the GOAT saying, I want Tom Brady. Micah, Mika, I hope I'm saying your name yeah. right. That has worked for nobody in NFL history. Nobody. Okay, so I know he said, man, Tom Brady, oh, and he's I think coming the, off a Super Bowl MVP. Then I so think the Parsons, you will get welcome to the NFL tonight, guaranteed. Yeah, I think the I want Tom Brady, uh, you know, quotes <laughs> go in the they, 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 yeah, they go Alabama. right in the closet next Alabama. to the I want I want the I want Bama quotes. Uh, yeah, no, you don't. Just just go try to get him, and then if you get him, then you can talk after the fact. But no, again, t- Tom Brady, the, uh, the the Bucks opening up the NFL season, Ben, and uh, look, I know as we're in Falcons country. You don't want to look at Tampa Bay and say they're – but they literally – and you don't see this in the NFL through guys getting cut, guys who are saying, man, I just had a tremendous year. I'm going to go get paid to go somewhere else uh, and, and, and play. You don't see a team bring back everybody. And I think that's why I, we were talking uh, off air about, you know, do you think Tampa Bay can repeat? And we'll get to some picks coming up later in the show. But do you think Tampa Bay can repeat? And usually you would say no to that because it's a long, hard season and teams that make that run – don't typically turn around and do it again. But they brought everybody back. Everybody, all their draft picks are down the depth chart. Uh, we're good. You just learn how to play. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch them because, again, no team really does that. Right? When Atlanta went to the Super Bowl, next year they came back. Several guys were gone. They moved on, got cut, free agency, whatever. Their starting 22 offense defense is back. Every last one of them. That just doesn't happen. And I'm interested to see what they do with the Cowboys tonight because – Again, the, the Cowboys, America's team, and there's not a Cowboy fan alive that won't let you know that they're America's team. Oh, so yeah. so what uh, what happens tonight if they come out and look sluggish against Tom Brady? And uh, obviously the, the, the Tampa Bay and Tom Brady hype machine will be in full swing if they come out with a uh, convincing dub tonight. All, all, all my friends that are Dallas Cowboys fans, they, they like Skip Bayless. They walk around with a, with a, with a, with a book bag full of excuses. They, <laughs> they, they've been doing this for years, Kevin. You know – Dallas, Dallas is Dallas is the biggest brand in the NFL. Like the biggest brand. No, 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 no doubt about it. Haven't had a chance to go to Jerry's World, but Kevin, you know it's gonna be everybody else's fault, right? Oh man, it's because Dak was out all last year. Oh, the offensive line ain't. I think Zach Martin. I think I think he might be playing. But the thing about Tampa, Tampa has Tom terrific. Tom Brady just understands how to get his teammates because Tom Brady is not the best player for the Bucks. He's just he got the most experience and he knows how to get his team ready to play. Tom Brady doesn't care how you win. He cares that you win. And I don't care. Run the, we got to run the ball a hundred times, do it. We got to throw deep and dunk, do it. Most teams, they're trying to validate players all the time. Tom Brady says, whatever the game plan is, I can do it. So for me, Kevin, Tom Brady is not gonna lose on opening night because New England is watching. Tom, somewhere, somewhere <laughs> Bill Bill. And guess what? Uh Tampa goes to New England this year. So I think I think it's going to be a good game. You know, it's going to be all about the festivities, the band on the outside, but that football on the on on the field. Dak, you better get down because Adamagan Sue, Shaq Barrett, you know, uh, JPP, Levante David, them boys, they 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 coming for you. So it should be a good game. But I, I got the books coming out on top. We'll talk more about that as we go throughout the uh, the show. We'll look at some of the big storylines for the NFL season as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Uh, ben, opening night in the NFL and. 
What was week one like for you? Not as a rookie, because I, I think you, you have chronicled that many times, saying, hey, you were a bright-eyed rookie uh, the, the first game. But what is opening week, opening night, what have you like in the National Football League, and how does it compare to opening week in college football as a, as a guy on the field? No, 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 listen, no offense to college football, because obviously I, I love college football. The greatest day in sports is opening day. In, uh, in the NFL, because because Kevin, it's it's like fake and real optimism at the same time. Because you put in the work, you want to see how better you've gotten, but you realize, dude, it's hard. It's like you get the flyover. You know, you're looking at your family in the stands. If you're at home, if you're starting, you get introduced. Sometimes you have to just pinch yourself because you you realize this wasn't supposed to happen to me. Like you like wait 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 like this like this is me like yeah I I drive out to the stadium you know you sign a couple of autographs you go downstairs you know you, you know you're talking to your teammates listen to your music you're getting geared up you go out there and it's time and then they kick the ball off and it's it's the, it's it's a it's a hard feeling to describe because everybody's o and o everybody think that it's gonna be the year it's probably not for most teams I was on one of those teams that it wasn't it wasn't that year but. I, 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 it's, it's, it gives me chills just thinking about it because it's the, it's the it's the pinnacle. It's like if you're a pitcher in the minors and you get called up, it, it's happening. Like you say, wait, what? Because you because you realize it's only 32 teams, 53 players, 46 guys dressed, 40. So you got to make the 40. That's what they don't tell you. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Everybody don't play. No. Not only do you not play, you won't even dress. So forget the fact that I, you got 38 tickets and you ain't going to play. So, yes, Kevin, man, it's it's the greatest feeling in the world, man. It, listen, forget the stats. Forget what you want to do individually. You get introduced. When I was with the Titans, man, they would introduce me and Eric Kenny. They would say, starting at tight end, starting at tight That stuff is the greatest, man, because you realize Hall of Famer, Pro Bowler, No Bowler, it, it's, you, you understand you made it to the highest level. And, again, that uh, starts tonight. Tom Brady against the Cowboys. What a great, I think, week one matchup uh, that's going to be. We'll talk more about the uh, the Falcons and the Eagles uh, coming up. D. Orlando Ledbetter going to join us uh, next hour. I always look forward to, uh, to talking with him, uh, Ben. But I'm interested to get his thoughts about, again, you, we, you and I have kind of had different philosophies about the Falcons and their preseason preparation uh, for, for what they've done. But I, I'm, i I got to say I'm nothing short of, uh, you know, Wide-eyed, interested as to what this Falcons offense looks like week one after not really seeing it uh, in the preseason. Kevin, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I am nervous because football is one of those things to where the farther away you get from it, the harder it is to get back to just normalcy with it. You got to go out there and do it. I understand it's about get, football is about making sure the best players make it to the games that count. I get that part. But you haven't played in a long time. Matty Ice hasn't seen how this offense looks with the new toy and Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst and 12 personnel engaged and date, you know, I mean, so, you know, Mike Davis and obviously he got the rapport, you know, uh, you know, uh, with the guys coming back, but I, I, we're really, but yeah, Kevin, like I said, the boo birds used to, used to reside in Philly. Well, playing Philly, you better hope that you, that the offense looks good, Kevin, because you know, Dan Quinn did not leave a good taste in the in the mouth of the fans in Atlanta. So they're looking for somebody to point to. And Matty Ice, you've been there the longest. So, sir, you're it. 
<laughs> so, hey, I'm excited to see what this thing's going to look like uh, come Sunday afternoon because, again, I saw Kyle Pitts catch one pass. It looked pretty nice, but it was one pass. Oh, yeah, get out, the, get out, Kyle. That's it. What? Get out. That's it. You, you showed him. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, we'll come back. We got take three around the corner. We're talking college football. Also, we're talking Falcons. D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us in hour number two. It's three and out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. If you miss any portion of the show, first off, shame on you. You shouldn't do that. But if you do, uh, go to ESPNCoastal.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube page, and you can get a podcasted version of the show each and every day. Hour 2 coming up next. Welcome back. Hour 2 here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to get to. D. Orlando Ledbetter going to join us in about 30 minutes on the program. We'll uh, talk some Falcons football uh, with him. Looking forward to that opener against the Eagles coming up on Sunday. But at first, it's 4 o'clock. We'll take three here on 3 and Out. All right, Ben, Georgia and UAB this weekend. Who will score Georgia's first offensive touchdown? I guess it's an offensive touchdown of the season as they did get one last week against Clemson. So who gets the first offensive touchdown for Georgia? Well, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's probably going to be a Carson Beck and not JT Dave. They're probably going to, uh, you know, err on the side of caution. We, and it, that means it's going to be more of the running game. Kevin, I think I know who you're going to pick. But I'm going to go with old Mr. James Cook. I think I think Cook is a guy that is very, very versatile. Because they might get him in the screen game. He might take it in. He can run it in. So, I know I know, I know, know who I think you're going to go with, Kevin. But give me Mr. Cook. Yeah, I was going to say Samir White. Uh, again, both of us along the same lines of thinking. Uh, you know, I think they're going to run the ball, get down close. And run it in. Watch uh, Carson Beck will probably throw a 45-yard touchdown pass, and we'll both look silly. But you know, hey, that's that, that's neither here nor there. I say it's going to happen on the ground. I'm with you. I think especially early in the game, they're going to play it kind of close to the vest and run the football. Therefore, I think Zemir White gets in the end zone first. Take two. Will any team hold Alabama under 35? Not a chance. For. for- for two reasons. One, Alabama's always going to establish themselves, Kevin, uh, you know, as the gold standard in college football. And we haven't even seen this defense start scoring points. I mean, they don't always got to get to 35 with the offense. And Bryce Young is trying to do something that's never been done in Alabama. I know people are going to say, what? Alabama, in their history, has two, I'm sorry, three Heisman Trophy winners. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Devonta Smith. No quarterback. They have never had a quarterback in their history ever win the Heisman. So Bryce Young is on that Heisman Trophy candidate type of, you know, type, uh, you know, moving that way right now, Kevin. So for me, yes, they're not going to keep them under 35 points because they're just too good. They have 35 by freaking halftime, and the defense is going to, going to, uh, they're going to start, you know, putting their staff on them. So for me, Kevin, absolutely not. And unfortunately for me. <clears throat> Those boys are coming to town in two the Gainesville. Thank God that my cable will not be worth. The gate the Gators can't do it? Listen, listen, listen. Kevin. 34? Oh, listen. 34. This is problem. This is problem. No. It, no, they'll let them score 35. It'll be 35 to, you know, 26, 35, 21. So they'll score 35. But Ty Grantham, if you ever want to make your money, man, two weeks come on. I mean, I'm not gonna be watching, but I'm gonna hear about it. I'm gonna hear about it. I'm I'm just constantly fascinated of all people that you cannot watch the Gators play because you, as a player, knows like, look, there's nothing I can do about it. Like you've all. No, no, this this, this, this is the thing we talk about this all the time. Everybody has that thing you make up in your mind, like like you like that you think it's you. And for some reason, if I say 
Come on, fellas, get a nice block fumble. Oh my, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said. It's like I don't, I don't get it. It's like in my mind. Now, this is the thing. I have a very, 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 very disrespectful mother. Not from a sense of like how she treats me. I tell her, don't call my phone, don't text my phone. One time, my mama DM me and said, I said, mama, you know how to DM your child? Did you just see what happened? No. I need to cut off all forms of communication with this woman. But no, Kevin, that's what I'm gonna do. In 2021, I after now after the Alabama game. I'm going to try to start watching Florida football again because I can't live my life like this. This is ridiculous. No, I agree. And, and I will say this. One thing I hate about college football, 7.30 games. I cannot wait that long because the games last like four hours. Come on, SEC Network. <laughs> One o'clock so I can have the rest of my Saturday. No, I'm just saying. I, I would I would just – that's always fascinated me because as a former player, while you were playing, I would imagine like, listen to all these people up here thinking that they have some kind of to do with what's happening on the field. And now as a, an ex-player, you're like, I can't watch it because I'm like, but you know, like you watching it has no effect on the outcome of whatever. Oh, they- oh, we, it's, it's, that, it's that fake superstition. In my mind, they didn't make the field goal because I said, I, I like that. I like our chance with our kick. Shouldn't have been complimentary. <laughs> it's my fault. That's why we lost. Now, I, I, I don't know if anybody can do it. I'll be interested to see who comes the closest. Uh, it seems like maybe like an Auburn uh, just because it's a rivalry game, someone like that. Uh, Texas A&M, maybe. Maybe, maybe Texas A&M, maybe, maybe. If they're going to beat Bama, they're probably going to have to do it. Have to be like oh, yeah, 35, yeah. That's, 34. That's oh, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not stopping them from scoring 35. It's, 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 you getting, it's you actually getting in the end zone on that freaking defense. Like, geez. <laughs> that's, another, that's a whole other uh, sack of problems. All right, moving along. Take three. All right, if all of us here in the office, I know he had – BJ in this equation. BJ's not here on the show today. But all three of us here on the show, we'll just swap out BJ for Cam. How about that? Me, you, and Cam. All, right. all, right. all three of us, could we block Florida freshman D lineman Desmond Watson? If you don't know who Desmond Watson is, he is a freshman. I will say that again. He is a freshman who goes 6'5", 400. 6'5", 400. He wears 21. Now, Cam already said no. Cam, hear me out. Because Ben also said no. I said, look, Ben is what? 6'5". Ben's got to handle the heavy work. I'm sorry, Ben. That's the way it is. You got to get in front of that guy. I understand. You got to get in front of that guy. I will chip from the side and do the best I can. And Cam and I will hold on for dear life to try to keep him out of the way. But you have got to do – because Christian's big thing was like, well, Kevin, you're a big dude. I'm like, I'm 5'10". I'm old. I can't stand in front of this cat. No, 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 that, it's that, you. And, and, and that's, and that's, no, Kevin, you're not old. You're, you're, you're experienced. And, and what happens is. And my experience tells me to move aside. <laughs> <laughs> and what's going to happen in these situations, right? Cam is young. Cam got that young energy. You know, everything is good. It's the rest. Listen, it ain't my mind that's the problem. It's the rest of my body. Because something's going to happen. And I'm going to hear that. Uh-huh, and then it's over. Then it's like, because now blocking, no. Getting in his way long enough to like him not make a play maybe but what if he's feeling disrespected he's gonna he, him and cam you know you're you're older than him and, and and he's gonna be the only person you ever we ever gonna say you older than on this show right that's how young he is i think he's 19 or 20 or something but what happens when he comes off the ball and my lord extremities go what are you doing it's too late i can't stop my legs from moving it's gonna get ugly my momentum is going to push Kevin's momentum back, which Cam is going to push your momentum back, and we're going to be saying to ourselves, 
Why did we agree to this? You know what, you know what BJ gonna say? I'm happy that y'all let Cam fill in for me. Because <laughs> BJ gonna look at the numbers and all these type of things. So Christian, the answer is no, not because we're not willing, but because we can't. It's not gonna happen. So, and, and listen, and it has nothing to do with the fact that he's 400 pounds. He could be 300 pounds. And guess what? He's gonna be quicker, lateral run his feet. So look, when you're young, and your body responds the right way, you can do stuff. But as you get older, your body and your mind are not in, on the same page. I must, can't that, pull up a picture totally for the folks watching on the screen of, uh, of Desmond Watson. I mean, Ben, his legs are bigger than my torso. Like, listen, listen, listen. This, this is the thing. This is the thing. This is when you know you're a big man. When he, when he was on the field, he hasn't done nothing yet. They just showing him next to the guy next to him. They're going, what? Yes. Like, Listen, he's he's 400 pounds as a freshman. How big was he when he was a freshman in high school? Like, this kid, there's big, and then there's this kid. This kid is about as big as you can be. But this thing, he can lose 40 pounds, and he's still 360. So, hey, y'all, listen, I'm happy, listen, I'm happy that you gave them gators. Eat what you want to eat. eat. It ain't going to be me, Kevin, and Cam, because I'm not getting out there in front of you. So, I'm going to talk trash on the sideline, but I ain't messing with that kid, man. <laughs> that I, kid is 400 pounds. I'm messing Cam up here. I wanted, I wanted to, to pull that up, but, yeah, the dude's legs are literally, like, as big as, as my midsection. So, I might, uh, I might be able to get in your way. Kevin, and, 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 and I'll fall down. Kevin you, have a, Kevin, you have a family. If you went home and told the missus, what are you doing there, Kevin? I got to go block this kid. And she goes, you got to go block what kid? That's not a kid. That's a mammoth. That is not a kid. Is he 18 years old? Jesus, Mary Joseph. Yeah, it, uh, he's a, a freshman at Florida. I think, let's see if I can, if we can uh, show it for the, uh, the folks watching online. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, to, to, I'm trying to find it. We had it. May God bless you, young man. There you go. No, no, no. Click, click, just click, click on the one where he's sitting there, like he ain't got no pants or nothing. Like he's just sitting in the stands. All right, let me that, see. If, if you could click on the one where he's just sitting in the stands. Right, we'll try to pull this up for folks that are watching. I mean, it is. I mean, it is absolutely nuts. Uh, I mean, what, what can... am I gonna say to him? I'm like, what? I mean, you ready for this smoke, young man? No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, yeah. I'll see if we can. Uh, we're gonna try to pull it up for you, uh, Ben. Here, see if we can. Uh... Cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Anywhere is number twenty-one. That man. Yeah, well, I, I know you had a whole, uh, you had a whole thing about uh, big men wearing twenty-one. I mean, I mean. Christian did say something smart. If he wore like a single digit number, like you know, two or three or something, but you know, it just, it just, it just. Look, look, look at that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, I mean, listen, like, 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 what are we, what are we gonna do with that? Like, I'm not, no. I call so him sir got, and got, get out of the way. Got, he got <laughs> listen. His his thighs got thunder and lightning in them. Nope, not dealing with it. <laughs> not dealing with it. That's take three. We do it each and every day here uh, at this time. we got more to come here 
on three and out. D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us in about 20 minutes here on the show. We're talking Falcons football with him, but we're talking some college football. A couple of teams showed some promise in the early week of college football. Is college football better if they can actually turn the corner? Good to have you here on this Thursday, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you are with us after one week of college football. Ben, obviously, people are saying, you know, look at UCLA. They've actually played two games, but uh, UCLA looking good. Michigan uh, appears to look a little bit better. Tennessee, Josh Heupel had a good start uh, last Thursday night. Florida State, even in a loss, showed some signs of looking like the Florida State of old. Which schools, though, do you think just make college football better when they're good? I think a lot of people would include some of those in that list, but when they are at their peak, when they are in the in the conversation, college football just seems like it's in a good spot. I mean, UCLA is in that, Kevin. I mean, I know it's, I know it hasn't been of late, but UCLA is kind of like one of those blue bloods in the Pac-12, USC, Oregon, and, and Washington State. They just haven't been much to talk about as of late. And Chip Kelly is starting to feel the heat a little bit. I mean, I remember this is, what, four years now since uh, they thought he was supposed to come to Florida, but he definitely got his team, uh, you know, uh, definitely got that offense looking good. Michigan, right? Michigan is that, that love or hate type of thing, Kevin, if you're rooting far more against them, but when Michigan is good, it is good um, for college football. It's a team, excuse me, Michigan is a team that's a really, really big brand, a huge brand, but they just haven't lived up to it. When I say not lived up to it, not being on, not beating, you know, Ohio State. Florida State, I mean, Florida State needs to be good uh, for three reasons. One, it boosts the reputation of the ACC. Two, it's a part of the big three that being the other two being Miami and Florida. And three, look, Florida State was one of those teams, Kevin. We talk about how good Clemson is now. That's how good Florida State was for like 14 years in a row. So when Florida State is good, it's definitely good, uh, you know, uh, for college football. I mean, certain teams, you just mean more. A team that's that's not on here, it's Georgia Tech. I mean, Georgia Tech didn't win. When Georgia Tech is winning, it is better for college football. I Unfortunately, I, I use social media for one thing, to gauge the interest of college football. On Saturday, I, I usually I have to deal with those Georgia fans. Get off my Twitter feed. Get, I don't follow you. You don't follow me. Stop at tweeting me, whatever. When Georgia Tech lost, the Georgia Tech faithful came out by the mid. It was crazy because, Kevin, once again, sometimes you don't know how much you matter to something. Until, until you're trying to do all your best to kind of not matter. People say, no, you don't get to just decide, hey, we're going to lose, you know, the NIU. No, because, I mean, they was coming out. They was coming out, you know, and, and they was letting people know we don't do this. I like when it goes from I hope that I hope that Georgia Tech does well, and when they lose, we have to play better than that. We are a bigger program than this. We have a tradition and a standard to uphold. So Georgia Tech, for me, is, is one of those teams – that when they're good, it's just better for college football. Unfortunately, for the first weekend, Jeff Collins, you know, I don't know, I don't know what Georgia Tech faithful. I don't know what the what the slangs are there. I know they do not like Georgia. I know that Georgia Tech <laughs> cannot stand the University of Georgia. But yes, when Georgia Tech, UCLA, Michigan, when teams like that are good, it's definitely better for college football. But another team too, Kevin, that they need to get it together. LSU. When LSU is good, that's good for college football. They are a big brand. They are the biggest brand in the state of in the state of Louisiana, even bigger than the Saints. But right now, <laughs> Coach O, 
listen, you one of the best coaches when it comes to like, you know, getting your team ready to go in them sound bites, Kevin. But if you ain't winning, no one cares. Yeah, I think there's just certain brands that are it's good uh, when when they're relevant in college football. I think Michigan is one of those. I know a lot of people detest Michigan. Maybe they just don't like Jim Harbaugh, but I think it's one of those. They are a good foil for Ohio State. And when Michigan has not been, you know, very good, you just kind of it kind of sinks on on the Big Ten a little bit. It's like it's Ohio State and everybody else. I think Penn State's trying to get there where they can challenge, but I think Michigan is one of those. Florida State is one that I think uh, it feels like it is because they are so critical to the ACC that they are competitive, they are good, they are relevant. And I very rarely do you see a team get a lot of positive hype off a loss, but Florida State seems to be doing that. Uh, they kind of showed some some flashes of things that they haven't shown in several years there in Tallahassee. And yeah, it's it's good uh, when when they are good. Miami is one that I think people would say that. I was like, I don't know if it matters one way or another. I was like, it helps when Miami's good, but it just, I mean, college football feels right when, you know, you have like your Southern Cows are in good, uh, Michigan and things like that. I think Miami, uh, they're they're a fun team to watch. I don't know if it's if they're bad, they're down, whatever, uh, if it if it has an effect on kind of the, the opinions of college football. I know with USC being down in the Pac-12, Everybody's kind of had the sense, well, as long as USC is not even competing, really, the Pac-12 really looks like it's suffering. Because you get some non-traditional, and I'm all about non-traditional teams getting their Mm -hmm. moment uh, in the sun and and kind of showing uh, that, hey, we deserve some press, too. And I think sometimes you can change those arguments about teams like, hey, Washington State, if they ever got, hey, if they're consistently good, you can talk about Oregon has been a good example of that. Nobody really talked about Oregon until they got, you know, super Nike'd out and changed uniforms every week and they started winning. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, Oregon's been – no, Oregon hasn't always been thought of as they are now in the Pac-12. They've kind of built that for themselves. So I think it ever changed. But you go back to some of those teams that have been just really good for forever in two days, you know, your Michigans, your Southern Cows, uh, schools like that. When they are struggling and they are bad, it feels like college football's kind of in a little dip. Yeah, and Kevin, a team, a, key, a team that you know, I forgot to mention that you know, I had a really, really good week one. And I hate to say this, but even though they, even though they fans are just rough, when Tennessee is good, college football is good. Like, with, and 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 the thing is, sometimes maybe that's what ex, adds to that extra added pressure. Like, you're doing it for more than just your fan base, your conference. You you know, the, you're a part of the college football fabric. Tennessee is Tennessee is a superpower. They're blue blood when it comes to this thing called football. So when Tennessee, and I know it's only one week, but when Tennessee is good, because Kevin, this is the thing. When Tennessee is bad, everybody knows. Whether you root for them, root against them, nobody has to see nobody. You, whoever is the head coach of Tennessee is, is very, very relevant to the landscape of college football. So for one week, Coach Hypo, hey, man, you the man. But I've seen the Lane Kiffins come through there. You know, I mean, I, I, just, I, just, I just understand that. When you look when you look at a team like Tennessee, it's like a Michigan, it's like a UCLA, it's like a Georgia Tech. When they're good, it makes like everybody else around them good. So yeah, I sometimes Kevin, man, you know when you when you think about how hard it is to uh to uh you know be at your peak or you know consistently compete at the highest level, you got sometimes you got seen and unforeseen factors you know going against you. And if you're at Michigan, if you're at Tennessee, if you're at Georgia Tech. If you're at UCLA, if you're at Miami, unfortunately for you, what you do, but more importantly, what you don't do matters a lot. So that seat gets hot even when you don't know it's hot because the expectations are most of the time unrealistic. Unfortunately for these fan bases, they expect you to be competing for SEC, Pac-12, SEC, you know, uh, you know, ACC crowns every year. Unfortunately, you got, you know, the Oregons, the Alabamas, 
you know, uh, and even LSU's of the world trying to trying to dethrone. Yeah, certainly going to be uh, interesting to see how they improve here in week two. I think we talked about some of those Tennessee. What can they prove here in week two of the college football season uh, as well? And can they become one of those mainstay programs that we're talking about week in and week out here throughout the course of the season? We got so much to get to uh, here on the show, Ben. We got Falcons. Uh, opening up, we're going to talk with D. Orlando uh, coming up here. D. Orlando Ledbetter in just a few minutes. Uh, interested to get his thoughts because he's kind of been the one, uh, Ben, that said, look, Arthur Smith's going to do it his way. He's doing what he believes is best to help this team win. But the facts are, hey, we're going to see Matt Ryan, you know, Matthews, uh, uh, several, several of your key offensive pieces for the first time all year on Sunday in live action, not called a practice. And to me, I'm interested to get his thoughts on that. Like, what does he expect? What, before we ask him, what do you expect from, from Atlanta on Sunday, having really not seen the true offensive personnel out there for a single snap in the preseason? I see Matty Ice for the first quarter and a half, like, running for his life because, uh, you know, you're trying you try, you try to have that cohesiveness for it. I mean, I because, mean, Kevin, you know what's crazy? You know, football, football is one inside out. Right? It's not about the quarterbacks. It's about the O-line. It's not about the linebackers and safeties. It's about the D-line. So if the core of your team hasn't been together on the field that much, and when you finally do, it's for real, that should scare anybody. That's because you want you want those five guys up front to know each other like a glove. You want that center to be able to know that to be able to get uh get that protection out and you know what to expect from the left side and the right side. And right now, you don't. You don't know what to expect. So if, you know, Matty Ice is getting picked up off the ground a lot, that's because these guys haven't been out there enough. Arthur Smith is going to do it his way, and Kevin, that's good and bad. Good for Arthur if it works, but real bad. Because the same thing that people are praising him for is what they're going to, you know, is what they're going to be criticizing him for. But I, I, I think that Matty Ice and those guys are going to get together. But Kevin, like I say, if you haven't done it in a while and you just happen to do it at the best, in the, this is where the best in the world play, that's not a recipe for success, and that, that can't make you feel good if you root for them dirty birds because we're trying to get Dan Quinn taste out of our mouth. <laughs> I hope you taste better than Dan Quinn because right now I ain't, I ain't buying your brand until, yep. I, until it's her brand. Hey, we'll, we'll ask D. Orlando about that when we come back. He'll join us, covers uh, the Falcons for the AJC, and we'll speak to him next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. NFL starting tonight with the Cowboys and Tampa Bay Falcons back at it. Coming up on Sunday against the Eagles. And joining us here from AJC.com covering the Atlanta Falcons. Good friend of the show, D. Orlando Ledbetter. Daryl, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on 3 and Out. Hey, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, I was hoping you could answer something for us. What do you expect to see from this Falcons team, I know we've asked you a lot about it in the preseason that guys did not play in preseason games, got a lot of time in inter-squad scrimmages, things of that nature. But for the viewing public, what do you expect to see from this Atlanta Falcons offense after not really seeing that whole unit in the preseason? Yeah, I expect them to run the football. They're going to uh, you know, get back in their outside zone, West Coast team that Shanahan um, you know, ran. And, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur took – Tennessee for uh, Arthur Smith, and he brought her here. I expect him to run the football a lot and then uh, try to play action off of it. 
Um, you know, that's what Arthur Smith has done at Tennessee. Granted, he had Derrick Henry there, but uh, that's what he's going to do here. He's not going to drop back 40 times a game because he kept the same offensive line, basically, that was giving up all these sacks over the last three, four, three years. So um, you're going to see a lot of Mike Davis and a lot of Cordell Patterson. Uh, Wayne Gallman's not ready to go yet, but he'll be on that committee if they get him up to speed. So, um, you know, running team that will uh, try to throw play-action passes off of their run game. That's what we're going to see on Sunday against these Philadelphia Eagles. And the Orlando even sticking with those Philadelphia Eagles, pretty good defensive line, uh, very, very good uh, defensive line interior-wise for, uh, you know, for those Eagles. How much are we going to learn about this offensive line? Because I know it's all about the skill guys, Matty Ice, Kyle Pitts, and Ridley, and those guys. But how much are we going to learn about this offensive line who we haven't seen on the field that much in this preseason? Yeah, we're going to learn a great deal about them because you got, you know, three shaky starters uh, entering the season. you got solid guys at left tackle and right guard and Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom. Uh, Hennessy, I think, is going to be a player at center. That's a, I'm not so much worried about him as I am about the rookie, Jalen Mayfield from uh, Michigan. You know, he was a right tackle. They're trying to make him a right guard. His first game is going to be against Fletcher Cox. So that's got disaster written all over it. <laughs> right tackle, uh, Caleb McGarry, he, uh, you know, he can run block, but he had, uh, you know, I, I ran the stats on him a couple times out there, ran it out about, you know, he cut his sacks allowed down from 13.5 to 1.5 last year, which was good, but he also had the most missed blocks. Uh, he's one of the highest rated right tackles for blown blocks. I mean, if they're going to run the ball, you can't be blowing your blocks, so... Um, those are the question marks facing this team against a stout Philadelphia Eagles team. And uh, uh, Coach Dwayne Ledford and Arthur Smith are going to make sure that line's straight. Or if they don't, it's going to be a long day at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Sunday. I was going to say, with that rosy picture you, you painted, Daryl, I mean, this is a heck of a week to break in your kind of offensive scheme here, right, against a, a team that's really good defensively. Yeah, no question about it. But, I mean, if you're going to run the ball, it's, it's, uh, the time is now. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you can't, you know, you know you can't uh, drop back there and uh, throw it 40 times because, uh, you know, you just the time is going to be off in the passing game. You didn't bother to, to work on it in the exhibition season. So, you know, as far as fundamental football goes, you know, blocking and getting after people, you know, that's what you're going to have to do early on in the season. So we'll see if they can pull it off against the Eagles here on Sunday afternoon. I mean, I dear Orlando, I mean, you, I mean, Dallas go there, you know, when you talk about Zach Ertz, you're talking about a guy like, you know, Greg Ward, and you know what Devonta Smith brings to that Eagles offense, but you got to deal with a mobile quarterback. This defense is always going to be under the radar because they're trying to keep up with what how high power the offense is for Atlanta. How did the defense look in the preseason? And you know, um, what should we expect from those guys dealing with a mobile quarterback that like to uh, you know make plays outside the pocket? Yeah, we talked to uh, Dean Pease today, and he was uh, he was funny. He was talking about well, people said just put Dion on him and shadow him. And he said, well, what do I do with the other people, you know? So he's like, hey, you can't really uh, do that. Uh, and he talked about his cornerbacks traveling uh, and so forth and how tough that is of an assignment. So um, they're going to stay at home. They're going to try to keep stuff in front of them. And he's going to try to attack you in obvious passing situations. So, you know, if uh, Hurts gets loose, um, you know, that's going to be a problem for him. But 
They're going to try to go after him and take the game to him and not let him get on the loose and start attacking the defense. So uh, you can expect, uh, you know, Dion's probably not going to spy him, but he's going to be, you know, he's going to have his eyes on him along with Foyer Ulikan and Dante Fowler. So uh, that's what I think they're going to try to do. They're not going to, um, you know, just sit back and cover two and play uh, zone like uh, Coach Dan and uh, Coach Pete uh, did. Uh, they're going to try to go match up or sometimes maybe blitz and then play zone on the back of it or, you know, you know maybe play, uh, you know, play some zone on the back of it or half zone, half man. But uh, they're definitely going to try to confuse Hurts with their coverages. What's a win, Daryl, in your estimation for this Falcons defense? At the end of the day, end of Sunday, what's a win for this Falcons defense look like? Yeah, maybe you pick a couple off, you get some sacks, uh, uh, you know, you stop, you stop Miles Sanders. Uh, that's a win right there. I don't, I don't know if you can, uh, you know, uh, slow down Hurts or Goddard, keep them under control, uh, and you, um, you know, maybe take a couple off of uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, turnovers will make up for the yards if you can get the ball off of them. And uh, if you get the pass rush, they, you know, we've been talking about a pass rush for since John Abraham retired. So, uh, however they got to do it, I don't care. Bring the safety, bring the corner. Uh, bring the middle linebacker. Bring you know. Bring somebody off the sidelines. We just they just gotta have a pass rush uh, with this defensive unit, and we, we'll be looking forward to see that on Sunday. And the Orlando, I mean AJ Terrell, year two. Obviously, I uh, went through a lot of growing pains last year. Uh, you know, as a rookie trying to be the number one cornerback. How the, how has he looked uh, in training camp? And I mean, is he ready to be that guy that you could just you know put on the opposing team's uh, number one receiver and just let him roam? Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, we ask him, he's not going to let him roam, but uh, he's going to hold the left side down. But the thing I noticed from him just at practice and looking at him today, uh, he's a lot calmer. He's not uh, on edge. You know, he's, there's some pieces to his game that uh, you see uh, from, you know, a veteran type of guy, somebody who went through the offseason and, uh, you know, paid attention in the classroom there. Uh, and he's going to be up for the challenge. He stood up to it last year, even when things weren't going well. So um, he's a guy I think could make the biggest jump. But uh, the, the coordinator kind of said he's not a traveler guy, and there's no such thing as a shutdown corner anymore. So um, he's going to let him play over there and uh, take whoever shows up on his side and try to get after him. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Daryl Kyle Pitts, we saw him very little in the preseason. Do you expect him to be a standout from the jump here in, in this offense? Do you expect him to have a huge game or at least a big game uh, on Sunday? Um, I think Sunday's going to be a problem, uh, but I do expect him to have a good season. I trust uh, Brian Johnson is up there now. Brian was his uh, – Offensive coordinator at Florida last year. He's the quarterback coach for the Eagles. So he knows it's better than anybody in the league. Uh, but so Sunday might not be his breakout game. And that, that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, that's going to probably happen. But I see one of my folks here on the, uh, my, uh, one of the betting folks said that uh, the over and under for Pitts is 911.5 yards. And heck, that'd be pretty good. Um, if you thought you were going to get almost 1,000 yards out the rookie tight end, uh, you know, that'd be pretty good. But I don't think Sunday's going to be a day because I think Brian Johnson's up there spilling all the beans on how to stop him and how to slow him down. 
And Daryl, even stick, even sticking with Kyle Pitts. I mean, I know it's probably not going to be a good day for him because his former, you know, OC is the quarterback coach. But do we get a glimpse of what, how they going to utilize him in the run game? You know what they want to do with him in the passing game, flex him out. I mean, he doesn't have any weaknesses, I guess, in the passing game. But they're going to have to show that he is a willing blocker, even as though he don't have to be a mauling blocker. Yeah, he said that yesterday. We talked to him. Uh, he's like, yeah, I want to show everybody that I'm a well-rounded tight end. Uh, you know, people talked about him, uh, you know, this inline blocking not being up to NFL standards. It, it probably won't be until his third year. He's only 20, and he's 245. So even the big tight ends are like 260, 265. When you're going to uh, go in there, and I, I talked to Tony Gonzalez about him. He said, hey, you were expected to block those uh, defensive ends and those three, four outside linebackers. Uh, but now not so much. They're not going to ask him to do a whole lot of that because they know he's not capable of it right now on a regular basis. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC, joining us here on 3 and Out. Daryl, your, your most recent column out, you said, hey, I tried, but you don't see the Falcons making the playoffs. How close, though, do you have them getting, and could they be in the discussion for playoffs as late as week 14-15? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, my colleague Michael Cunningham's column. Uh, he, I talked to him before he wrote it, and he was like, hey, I'm trying to trying to put these cats in the playoffs, but I just can't see it. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we didn't get to see him over the, the uh, exhibition season. So, uh, you know, we don't know. You can't hang your head on the fact that they got a running game. We, we, we didn't see it. Uh, we know they can pass. Matt Ryan can throw the ball. Uh, we don't know if they can stop anybody. So, yeah, to go from all of that and put them in the playoffs, That'd be a major, major leap of uh, of faith. So without any evidence, so uh, the schedule's favorable. They, they can get to the brink of the playoffs, but then your last games are at Buffalo and New Orleans. So uh, the 2018 came out of nowhere, but they won their last three games. But then they they won like seven games by one score too. So uh, you know Matt Ryan's first year. So you know anything can happen here. This is the last time they had a a team that, you know, nobody thought was going anywhere and they actually made the playoffs. So they can do it, but, um, you know, the schedule's not not real hard, but a whole lot of things have to happen for them to be a uh, playoff contender here in Arthur Smith's first year. The Orlando Ledbetter, our guest here on 3 and Out. Daryl, always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. All right, thanks for having me on 3 and Out. You guys take care. Will do. Thanks so much. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here and. Uh, ben, I think what he said there at the at the end, talking about uh, Michael Cunningham. I'm sorry, I read the tweet. Uh, Daryl put out a tweet, and I saw uh, the column, and I thought it was his. It was Michael Cunningham, but basically saying, "Look, we haven't seen evidence of what you can do in the preseason," and that's kind of been my concern. Not that they can't do it, but we just have not seen it uh, yet for our eyes to either say good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, Kevin, and look, that that's. I think that's I think that's rational. I think when you think about the fact that football is a sport to where nobody's good enough to just take time off. And I understand that first string to second string in any in any sport, the higher you get up is dramatically different. The second string tight end is nowhere near as good as the first string tight end. The first string quarterback is no I mean second string quarterback is nowhere as good as the first string. But when you haven't seen the first string and you think to yourself, okay, now we're gonna wait on Fletcher Cox, you know. You know, and, and Graham and those guys on defense and Darius slaying those guys, we should be good. Kevin, like I said, I 
as long as you got Matty Ice, you got a shot because he, he has that veteran presence, that professionalism, and just understands the game. Problem is, he doesn't play off of the line. And and the one thing that D. Orlando said that scared me, oh, man, you got good guys, but they're not, they're not beside each other. You got a good left tackle and a good right guard. You got a solid center. They going, So we're going to learn a lot, Kevin. And once again, it's going to be hard for Atlanta to make the playoffs because they're in the NFC South and they're in the NFC, period. But we're going to learn a lot about them on Monday. I mean, come Monday because of Jalen Hurts. Goes out there and runs around that defense, and Matty Ice keep getting up. If Matty Ice got a lot of green on his jersey, that means he's been getting off the ground the whole time. You already know, Kevin. They're not. They're not going to give Arthur Smith any patience because people go, Arthur Smith's going to do it his way. Well, what is that exactly? We don't know the Arthur Smith way because we haven't seen him coach yet. I hope it works out. Yeah, and again, I, I kind of heard D. Orlando talking. I was like, this seems like a heck of an opener against an uh, excellent defense. Uh, Darius Slay, a part of that Eagles defense uh, as well. Like, this seems to be a heck of a week to try to break it all in and say, hey, I know you guys didn't play in a preseason, but let's go execute. I mean, it just seems like a tough go in week number one, and we may not see what we want to see right out of the gate from this Falcons offense. we got more to come here at 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. We'll get to the NFL, which kicks off tonight. Tampa Bay and the Cowboys. Ben and I will give you some of our thoughts on the upcoming season. Give you some, uh, I guess we'll put it on paper officially, Ben, ahead of the first games uh, kicking off uh, tonight. We'll also look at college football. Some big SEC storylines coming up in week number two. We'll break those down. Also, Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us coming up in the final hour. JT Daniels reportedly dealing with an oblique injury. How serious is that? And what does that mean about uh, what we'll see from Georgia on Saturday? Possibly a good deal of Carson Beck against UAB on Saturday in Athens in the home opener for Georgia. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, at the end of the day, you, I mean, uh, Georgia uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, hit the injury bug at a good time because they're going up against a team. They're definitely going to dominate coming off a, a very, very emotional win against those Clemson Tigers. But if you're going to have an injury, you want to have it in week two because had this been, you know, maybe a Florida week or all the week, I think that, uh, um, you know, I think that JT Dan would have tried to push through. Yeah, and again, we'll see. I, I think this is a UAB team that I don't think uh, – somebody was asking me, like, how bad do you think this will be? I'm like, look, I, UAB is a solid team. I don't think it's one of those teams that's, that, that's bad. They, they're going to compete in their conference to, uh, to win the conference championship, go to a bowl game. Uh, do, does that mean I think it'll be close? No. I mean, I, I, I think this will be one where, as I told someone earlier, I think Georgia will have to work, but they won't have to sweat, if that makes any sense, Ben. No, I agree, Kevin. I mean, look, Georgia's, Georgia understands what, what's, what's at stake, right? And they understand that now, Kevin, they plan for two reasons. One, to keep their ranking, and now, they, and now, it's, and now it's like how it looks, right? Those, sec, those, those sexy uh, type games, or whatever, they got to go out there and dominate, but just go out there and get it done. Don't try to get nothing too flashy. And if you Georgia's defense, I don't. I hope they don't expect y'all to just play. You know, not allow any points all season. But if you're a Georgia fan, that's probably exactly what you expecting. That's why you're a Georgia fan. So calm down. It's UAB at home between the hedges. It's gonna be rocking. Carson Beck. Stand, you know, you're up. Stetson Bennett. Well, we got a chance to see you in 2020. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I think, but if you're Georgia, you're trying to work depth uh, at that quarterback spot and allow somebody to play. And as I said, as we were talking earlier, is this a situation where you could get deep into uh, the roster and allow some guys to play potentially uh, in the fourth quarter? Could we see a Brock Vandegrift sighting? And people forget 
You got the four-game freshman rule where Brock Vandegrift can play four games, and it's fine. Uh, you know, he, he can play in four games and not affect his eligibility uh, whatsoever. So might this be an opportunity to get Brock Vandegrift some snaps uh, late in a football game? We'll have to wait and see as, uh, as we get there. But, again, I think this is a UAB team that, you know, I think Georgia's going to have to to put in work, but they won't ever sweat it. Is it going to be 70-3? to I don't know if I expect that. I think a good, like, 42-3 to type ball game, probably where Georgia just gets out early and just kind of methodically puts the game away. I don't think it's going to be one of those where, you know, it's 72 to nothing and it's just a complete rollout. I think Georgia's going to have to keep working uh, to, to put them away as UAB's a good team. And, obviously, Coach Clark trying to build that program up. Uh, to be a competitive team, but they're competing in their conference for conference championships. They're not going to come to Athens and just take their check and go home, as the case may be. we got so much to get to in the uh, the final. What did, what did the guy say last year? Somebody better bring me my money. <laughs> bring, me, bring me my money. <laughs> At the end of the, uh, the ballgame. we got more to come. Final hour. NFL kicks off tonight. We'll break that down and give you some of our uh, predictions for the season when we return. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network and ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you. Final hour of the show here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. We'll have the Braves coming up a little bit later tonight. Also, uh, the SEC. Lots of storylines here for week number two uh, in the SEC. We'll hit those coming up in just a little bit. And Mike Griffith will join us from Dog Nation uh, coming up in the final segment of the final hour here on the show. That being said, Ben, the NFL kicks off tonight. Cowboys and Tampa Bay, what a great way to get it started. Tom Brady, uh, reigning Super Bowl champion, seems like you say that uh, a lot, against America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. What a way to get it started off here in week one of the NFL. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, you got the you got the GOAT versus the GOAT of you know, brands, because you got to go and uh, you got to go to Tom Brady, right? And to go to brand, because let's face it, Kevin. I mean, I know he ain't gonna say this. Jerry Jones wants to win the Super Bowl, but as long as we're talking about the Cowboys, isn't he kind of winning? Like he got the biggest. He, he don't have a stadium. He having like a a small little town. It's like he's got theme park. Balls and all kind of. They have a their indoor stadium, practice stadium, can hold like eighteen thousand people because. They said the reason why Jerry Jones did that because you know, in in, in, in uh, sometimes Dallas hosts the uh, Texas High School Championship game, and he didn't want to mess up the real field, so he goes put him in there. Like you don't want him here? No, they can do a tour, they can take them behind in there. But no, Kevin, NFL. I mean, listen, kickoff is tonight. Tampa bringing back every starter. Tom, terrific, Mister. Hey man, I was hurt all last season, and I still went through the whole season. You know, Tom Brady, he's just gonna make up an injury even if it wasn't detrimental. And you got America's team. Dallas might have the biggest, most naive fan base in, in pro sports. They got fans every freaking well. I can't stand them. Because because you already know what it is, Kevin. This is the year. Until it's not. And then it's next year. You know, it, that's just what they do. So to the Dallas Cowboys fans out there, you're not going to win it. You might not even win the NFC East. But Thursday night kickoff, I mean, Thursday night, you know, uh, the champs, Versus the contenders, Kevin. You know, pretenders versus contenders. Starts tonight. Tampa, <laughs> a contender. <laughs> versus wow. the boys from Dallas. But I know I'm going to have Dallas Cowboy fans talking trash to me on oh, social yeah. media. I don't care. The truth hurts. I'm just saying the truth hurts. Yeah, they've been waiting for that Super Bowl ever since uh, Aikman retired and, and all that. Like, hey, yeah, we're going to yeah, get yeah. another most one. Of those, most, of those, most of those kids, most of those, Mika Parsons is born in like 2000. He don't even know who Troy Aikman is. 
Hey, Troy Aikman's just the guy that calls the games on Sunday afternoon, right? That's the guy that do the games, right? <laughs> like Michael Jordan, that's the guy that owns the Charlotte Hornets, right? That's what he does, right? <laughs> does wow. Troy Aikman own a part of the Charlotte Hornets? Does he? No, 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 no. I, oh. I, 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 was, I was making that reference about Michael Jordan. I, I, I got you. I speak in South Carolina, and I said, hey, man. They said, yeah, we let Michael Jordan come speak. I said, what did the team say? Oh, he sucked. He he he, he the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. I said, what? <laughs> I said, oh, he sucked. He 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 the owner of the and they said he's just he's just the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah. He's just a billionaire. Yeah. He owns the NBA franchise. And what shoes do you have on your feet, sir? Exactly. You know, somebody gonna say he ain't LeBron. I said, oh, and there, and there it is. Yeah, right there. Somebody needs to go watch a thirty for thirty real quick uh, about uh, about Michael Jordan. But that being said, Ben, we're gonna give a, a couple of preseason predictions here for the uh, the NFL, and uh, we'll we'll write them down so that we have to, of course, stick to it, so we all look like you know, uh, you know, idiots come the the end of the season. So I'm going to uh, let you go first, so you can have the informed pick. And then I'll let you laugh at my picks uh, when it comes to me. So that being said, who is your now preseason pick for MVP 2021? Oh, man. Uh, Green Bay was able to make up with old Aaron Rodgers. They brought back Randall Cobb. I did they? Did they make well, up well, with Aaron Rodgers? It's, it's, it's fake. It's fake. But they did give him Randall Cobb. Uh, you know, the green-eyed uh, slot receiver that can't be covered. You talk about Tom Terrific. You talk about Kyler Murray. You know, you talk about Lamar Jackson. Talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes, but nope. I'm gonna go with Russell, last name Wilson, out there with Seattle. You look at his receiving core, you look at what they bring back on defense, and he's just finding a way to get it done. People thought he was only good because of the Legion of Boom, because of Beast Mode. Listen, give me, listen, lock it. DJ, DK Metcalf, I'm gonna go with Russell, last name Wilson. I think the young man is gonna add something, another award that he has uh, added to his resume, and that will be MVP. All right, mine's gonna be weird. But hear me out, Ben. Hear me out. This guy got his team to the playoffs. Next year got into the playoffs, progressed a little bit. What are we going to see? Is it time to put some respect, as you say, on Josh Allen, Buffalo Whoa. Bills? Oh, I, okay, now hold on, hold on. Now, now I like that pick. I, now, I I was going to – I was thinking about Josh Allen. Excuse <coughs> me. But – Kevin, he just goes about his business, right? Signed a new big deal, got 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 it, got him a receiver with Stephon Diggs. He is he's still a smidgen. I don't know if he's grown <laughs> over six five. Still a smidgen under, but no, Kevin, a really really good player. I was look, I eat listen, I eat humble pie all the time, and I was dead wrong about Josh Allen. Dead wrong. It, it was it, it was not his fault. It was the highlights they would show when he was coming out of college. Stop showing the same highlight all the time. But Kevin got him over the hump. Put Lamar Jackson and Baltimore out the freaking playoffs last year. Lost the freaking uh, Patrick Mahomes to them. So, yeah, I, I like Josh Allen. I'm going to say, hey, BJ, I said, listen, Kevin no, no longer thinks that Joe Flacco was his favorite all-time receiver. Now he likes Josh Allen. <laughs> no, listen, I do think they're in a good spot. Obviously, he's had a big – and he has got a team around him that has progressed each year. And I think they're in – again, you could say, well, what about Pat Mahomes? Yeah, they're going to be tough. Sometimes in the playoffs, if you can get a round where you don't have to play those guys and they get bumped out, it can be a big help. But I think this is a team, the Bills, that have progressed year after year, and I think this is the year where they maybe realize some of that. And if they get there, I think it's going to be largely because of what Josh Allen does there at the uh, at the quarterback spot. I was looking at, you know, maybe a Lamar Jackson resurgence, something like that, but I saw their starting running back just was lost for the year with the ACL oh, yeah, tier. Yeah. So. So another running back, they can't – I mean, it's like dangerous to play running back. Right now for the Ravens. 
Ben might be lining up for the Ravens at running back before too much longer at the end uh, at the end of the day. All right, offensive rookie of the year, Ben, who you like? I mean, the easy choice right here is Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, you know he's going to start game one. He's going to probably end up having a very, very decent year, and it's going to be half what he does on the field and more what he does for his team. But for me, I think this guy is built for what he does. Walking out of Alabama, walking into Pittsburgh, give me Najee Harris. I think he is going to light it up for the Pittsburgh Steelers young man. And I know I shouldn't be the one saying this. Young man, stop jumping over people. Just keep your feet planted. You will last longer in the league. This is not Alabama. I, I, thought, you going Tre- I thought you were going I thought you were going Trevor Lawrence. I wrote it down. I, I was like, oh man, Vince picked Trevor no, Lawrence. No, 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 no. I said Trevor Lawrence to be the easy, but now give me, give me, give me Mr. I, listen, I'm not going to be giving Jacksonville no love, being a Tennessee type. Bump you, BJ. I'm not giving you no love, <laughs> Najee Harris. Well, look, I, I think Trevor Lawrence could have a fine year, but again, is he going to win Offensive Player of the Year if the Jags win three, four games? I, I, I don't know. He could have a solid year. Defense may not be very good, what have you. I went with the easy choice, Ben. Kyle Pitts, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, yeah. Look, he's going to be a part of the offense. You have Tony Gonzalez. If he get 900 receiving yards, like D. Orlando said, and he's saying, he saying that, like, oh, I see him get 900. What? That's like top five tight end stuff in the league. If he gets 900. Dude, that's my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think when you see uh, guys like Tony Gonzalez coming out saying, boy, I think Kyle Pitts is really going to have a big year for Atlanta, a huge year. And like you said, the Orlando guys coming out saying, look, they think Kyle Pitts could push 1,000 yards. I think he said the over-under was at 950 or something like that. That is a huge year for a rookie. I think he would be, uh, to me, offensive rookie of the year if he's putting up that kind of uh, numbers there in Atlanta. So I give me Kyle Pitts. All right, what about defensive rookie of the year, Ben? Who do you got? Man, this is a guy that I think is going to have a, a shot to really go out there because they're going to put him out there at number one corner. Give me Patrick Sertain Jr. out there with Denver. I mean, had a pick six in his first preseason game. I, I think it's a guy that just built for it. You get, you get Von Miller back. You talk about what Bradley Chubb brings to the table, and he's going to get a lot of a lot of opportunity to play a lot of defense in that in that AFC West. So give me Patrick Sertain Jr., cornerback out of Alabama with them Denver Broncos, my defensive rookie of the year. I like the way you think, not because of who you pick, but because of the position you pick, Ben. I went with Caleb Farley, uh, went uh, out of Virginia Tech to the Tennessee, your Tennessee Titans. Yes. And I think because of what you said about Patrick Tain, he's going to get a chance to play a lot of defense. I think Caleb Farley's not going to have to play as much defense, which could make him appear more uh, of a factor, more successful in a rookie year, playing on a team that's going to contend, going to be competing for a playoff spot, which means he's going to be in the spotlight. Denver, you better pay attention close because they may not be contending for anything. Uh, Patrick Sertain better put up some big numbers. I, I went Caleb Farley, one, because of how good he is. A lot of people said maybe the number one corner in the draft, two, because of the team he plays on, in which he could put up some good numbers and not have to play as much defense because that offense is going to hold the football all the way. All right, before we step aside, Ben, Super Bowl, Super Bowl matchup. Give me your Super Bowl matchup, and then we'll pick the champ out of that coming up here in just a second. Man, that NFC is going to be tough. I don't got Tampa Bay going back to the Super Bowl. I mean, I like what the Rams are doing. I like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say that uh oh um Russell last name Wilson gonna be MVP of the league, that means he gotta be representing the NFC. Unfortunately, he's gonna have to play them boys from Kansas City. Kansas City is going back. Yes, they're gonna do the three P. They're gonna three straight Super Bowls. Cause I think I think the boys wanna get got some revenge on their mind. Listen, when you got the number one quarterback, 
You got arguably the number one receiver. You got the number one tight end. You got a you got the number one one of the number one safety, Tyron Matthew. You got a solid offensive line, and you got Patrick Mahomes. Give me them Kansas City Chiefs versus them uh, Seattle Seahawks with Russell last name Wilson losing to them Kansas City boys. Patrick Mahomes. He adds his, he adds his name to Super Bowl, so now he's an Eli Manning type status. Well, this is the uh, this is the beauty of having predictions. I don't have either one of those teams uh, in in my Super Bowl. I have. Tampa Bay, unfortunately. Uh, Tom Brady getting back there again. The only reason I say that is because, again, they bring everybody back yes. on both sides of the ball. And I think that's a big key when you're talking about making a run like that again. And, again, in the NFC South, Atlanta, who knows? The Saints, people are having high expectations about Jameis, but what does that really mean in terms of the Saints' offense? And then, of course, you got Carolina. I think this could be a situation, too, where you say, hey, there's 17 games. Well, Tampa Bay might be out far enough where you get those last couple of weeks. They could key rest guys for a playoff run. And I think, man, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, unfortunately, for a lot of people, and again, I've, I've kind of learned over the years, don't bet against Tom Brady because you just end yes. up looking stupid. It's better to pick Tom Brady and be wrong than say Tom Brady can't do it and just look stupid again uh, when you do it. So I'm going to put Tampa Bay there, and then I kind of went the same philosophy as you. If I'm going to have one guy win an MVP, he better make it uh, at least to the conference championship games, not the Super Bowl. I got Buffalo pulling the, okay. uh, the okey-doke. And, of course, uh, Ben, if we're going to go with a Super Bowl pick, I mean, it's Buffalo. They're not allowed to win the Super Bowl because that's just uh, the rules, apparently. So you, I, I got Tampa Bay doing it again. Wow, Tampa. I mean, so so the thing about it, you, you got you got so uh, Tampa last year was the first team to ever hold the Super Bowl, and win the Super Bowl. Uh, T- Tom Brady is going to go back to back, something we haven't seen in a long time. He's going to do it against a young upstart, uh, young, uh, very very talented team and player, and a guy like Josh Allen. But once again, when you go at the goat. <laughs> You're going to lose because – think about this. The GOAT has shown he has a weakness. He's lost to Eli twice. He's lost to Nick Foles. Everybody else, L. Patrick Mahomes, L. I mean, he ain't, he ain't giving a Jared Goff, L. I mean, uh, you know, Kurt Warner, L. I mean, it's, I mean uh, Donovan McNabb, L. I mean, all these guys came. They saw – and unfortunately, uh, I'm trying to get Matty Ice, L. <laughs> you didn't have to go there, Ben. I, I, I try not to say Matty Ice, but, you know, all you got this man, just it's a pass play, you know, you know, uh all the block going to a run play, Atlanta wins the Super Bowl. But you know. And you got KC beating uh Seattle in yours, is that correct? I do, I do. I got Kansas City beating Seattle. I think that Patrick Mahomes and those guys are on the crash course to get back to the super duper. I think that uh Travis Kelsey gonna go go out there and probably I got Travis Kelsey being my Super Bowl MVP. Ain't no, I mean well Bobby Wagner versus Travis Kelsey. Whoop! That's gonna be a heavyweight <laughs> fight. Be a lot. So, so, so write all those predictions down. I'm sure they're going to be 100 percent correct. Oh yeah, yeah. By the, by the end of the season, I'm, by the third, fourth game, I'm gonna switch it up three or four times. So. <laughs> do, not, Christ- do not take my picks to the bank. I'll have Christian re-ask this question in a couple weeks and be like, Kevin, remember when you said Josh Allen was going to be? I was like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Just you like you Ben did. Josh Allen from the Jags. Like you talking about the Yeah, Jags. I thought the defensive guys. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was going to go the other guy. But, uh, no, we got more to come here. Three and out. We'll talk some college football uh, when we come back. Also, Mike Griffith of Dog Nation set to join us. We'll talk Georgia football with him. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. That's a part of your days. We get ready for week two in the SEC, Ben, and a lot to get to uh, as far as that is concerned, including, as I've said a number of times, one I think flies under the radar, Missouri and Kentucky this week, a big one in the SEC East right off the jump, two teams that we've heard a lot from trying to push themselves towards the top of the SECs. Now, obviously, we've talked to a lot of folks. Neither thinks they 
there with Georgia. Obviously, there's no thing that. But, hey, could these teams push Florida potentially to be the number two? Obviously, you got to win this game if you're going to make that claim. Good early separation game for Missouri and Kentucky here coming up this weekend. Very, 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 very underrated game, Kevin, because it, it's because of the teams, right? Not, not necessarily how, if, you, if you watch both teams play in week one, you saw you saw two very, very high-powered offenses. And Kentucky and Mizzou are obviously they're in the same division, but they're always fighting for the same thing. They're fighting for respectability, and they're fighting to try to keep pace with the Georgias and the Floridas of the world. And I think, Kevin, we're going to learn a lot about Missouri probably more than Kentucky. Kentucky got a passing game. Will Levis, I mean, the guys put up numbers. They're, they're – Outside of Alabama, they're probably the most top-to-bottom balanced team right now in the SEC. But it's because it's Kentucky. Nobody's going to ever give them their just dues. They're a basketball school. We get it. We, we get it. Missouri, they're not even in the South, let alone the Southeast. And they're in the Southeastern Conference. So people are going to be always scratching their head about them. Coach Eli Drink, which does a really, really good job with Mizzou. Coach Stoops doesn't get enough credit for what he does for uh, with Kentucky. But, Kevin, I <laughs> – I can see this probably getting out of hand either one way or the other. I mean, I can see Mizzou having their way with Kentucky. I can see Kentucky kind of going out there having their way with that Mizzou defense. But if they're trying to keep pace with their, their barometer is always Florida, Georgia, every single year. How do we, How do we? you know, and I, I know certain people said that maybe Florida is not going to be the second team in the East this year. It could be a team like Mizzou, a team like Kentucky. Getting each other second game of the year, you still got the whole season left, but I do think it's going to be a better game than people give it credit for. Get past the names, get more to the brand of football, and I think it's going, I think it's got the recipe for a really, really good, good matchup. Uh, certainly, and again, I think this is going to be one that kind of is an early separator there in the East between who's kind of on the bottom half and who's kind of on the top half. I don't think Tennessee's quite there. South Carolina not there yet uh, either. Looking at, uh, obviously, LSU goes to the West Coast, loses to UCLA, how hot do you think the, the, the seed is for Coach Ogeron right now at LSU? I think they come back with a, a winnable game, but obviously they are jumping back uh, into the SEC West here pretty soon. How hot is that seat there for Coach O, two years removed from a national championship? It's extremely hot, Kevin. I think it goes back to what you said about two years removed from the national championship, five and five last year, all SEC schedule got embarrassed. The first game of uh, 2020 against Mississippi State, who ended up being a very, you know, a below average team. LSU better find better find this uh it better find this way real fast because you still you ain't even got to the meat and potatoes of the schedule. Auburn, you know, Alabama, Texas AM, Ole Miss, you know, uh Arkansas. That they can probably put because if by the time they play Arkansas, they don't really have a, a winning record. Arkansas can find find a way to make that a game. So I just think that Coach O shouldn't be comfortable. Contract extensions in college football don't mean that you're gonna have longevity at a school. That means that they're rewarding you based on what you've done thus far. 2019 might be an anomaly. Now it's one of the greatest teams you're gonna ever see, you know, in college football. But look at what you had. Now you're replacing that, and since then you've gone five and five. You're already 0 and one against a UCLA team who was fighting to just keep pace and win six games in a Pac-12 that was supposed to be a part of the Lions. Now they don't want to expand. So Coach O should not feel comfortable because Gene Chizik, two years after winning the national championship, and the thing is, he had freaking Cam Newton, and two years later he was gone. So you shouldn't feel, don't feel comfortable. LSU is too big of a brand, Kevin. To be falling off the way they have, I know it's only one game, but now if you're going from last edition, now you five. What now in your last eleven games, you five and six. That's that's not that's not gonna get it done, Coach O. I know 
He's a great motivator. But, Kevin, the same reason why they love you will be the same reason why they hate you if you're not winning games. We tolerate you when you win. We can't stomach you if you're not. All right, moving along. Another quick storyline before we got to step aside here. Florida. I know Dan Mullen kind of shook it off and uh, looked at Cole Kubik like, I can't believe you want me to answer that question about the quarterbacks. What controversy? What are we looking for this week with Florida's quarterbacks uh, in a tune-up before, obviously, Alabama right around the corner? Consistency in the passing game. Uh, better decision-making by Emory Jones. Emory Jones got to take – I mean, his first two drives of the, of the game, they look really, really good. It kind of like the wheels kind of fell off. You can't look at the end result and think, well, you know, I'm in a good situation because we won 35 to 14. Emory Jones is going to have to take more control of this offense. You can't be trying to work the kinks out when the boys from Tuscaloosa are coming to town. You're going to have to make a, a, a vast improvement this week against USF. And as far as, like, you know, Anthony Richardson, I mean, a highlight reel running the football, unfortunately – he didn't throw the ball at all. Like, they didn't really even let him throw the football. So, for Emory, go out there and be consistent. And if they are going to call plays for, you know, uh, Anthony Richardson, Mr. AR-15, don't be a one-trick pony. We've seen this before, right? Chris Lee, Tim Tebow. One guy one guy had been there four years. Other guy had been there a year. I get it. The problem is Emory Jones is not, you know, Chris Lee, and obviously AR-15 is not Tim Tebow. But if you're going to work both quarterbacks in because you know the fan base is going to want to see it and against USF, FAU, you can do that, Kevin. But you got to look efficient doing it because if you're winning because of who you're playing, not how you're playing, that is not going to, that's not going to give you a lot of confidence when them boys from Tuscaloosa coming to town in, in, uh, in a little over a week. And, again, is there a quarterback controversy in your mind? I know you said, look, Emory Jones is going to have to start against Alabama, right? I mean, there's no way Anthony Richards is going to be – experienced enough, have enough snaps under his belt to just say, okay, take the snaps against uh, against Alabama. I mean, is what are we looking at here from that standpoint? Is it just getting plays for each quarterback? Do you feel there's actually some kind of thought of uh, a quarterback controversy in Florida? No, no, no quarterback controversy. I mean, you know, you won the game. It's not like Emory Jones is out there turning the ball over. He just wasn't looking confident. And Emory Jones understands, look, this is, this is what happens when you start a quarterback in Florida and you look at what he's replacing. You're replacing a Kyle Trash, who was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Not just a Heisman Trophy candidate, but you got to go out there and make it happen. You've been in this offense now four years, sat behind Felipe, sat behind Kyle Trash, understand what's our damn mother trying to get done. Don't let your athleticism take over. You know, uh, you know, let your play take over and then let your instincts, you know, lead you to the promised land. If you if you Anthony Richardson, obviously you keep it, you know, you making sure that the pressure stays on Emory Jones. There is no controversy. It's week one. You got two quarterbacks that's good enough to lead you there. That is a good problem, not a bad problem. But for Emory Jones, you don't want to go start going out there looking pedestrian, because Kevin, you know that you're like I know. Perception will will uh decide reality and AR fifteen will be in there quicker than he should. We've got more to come here on three now. We'll talk a little Braves baseball before we get to Mike Griffith of Dog Nation who'll join us in about ten minutes. It's three and out on the Southern Pig from Mike Griffith Dog Nation coming up here in just a little bit. Braves and the Nationals. Braves trying to get a series win if they can win tonight. Lost last night, but a little bit of uh, back and forth with the Braves and Nationals from a Juan Soto hit by pitch the night before to last night. Uh Nationals coming after Freddie Freeman and Ben. I thought kind of uh, you know, a a nice moment from Freddie Freeman basically is like, look, I get the unwritten rules of baseball. So many times you're like, oh, the unwritten rules, they're stupid, and, you know, why are we still doing this kind of stuff? Freddie Freeman kind of owned it up and say, look, I expected it was coming. We hit Juan Soto with Will Smith. I'm, I'm the kind of star of the team. They're probably going to throw at me. They threw behind him, missed him, and he looked to the umpires like, look, that was it. That was their shot. I knew it was coming. They missed. If he throws at me again, you got to toss him. He did. 
threw him out of there, then went and talked to Dave Martinez with the Nationals. I, I thought just a a pro move by by Freddie Freeman to say, look, man, I know what the unwritten rules are. They're coming after me. It's fine. But once you take your shot, that's it. And you're, you're going overboard. So I thought just a, a nice move by Freddie to kind of recognize what was going on and say, look, you may hit me, but uh, you get one crack. We don't get to throw three or four pitches at me. It was a second one. But, uh, you know, going to the umpire and say, look, don't throw him out yet. If he throws at me again, though, he's out of here. <laughs> Veteran, veteran move by Freddie Free. Sometimes uh, you get you get to kind of show who you are and what you are in, in one moment. Freddie Free, as he mentioned, he understands the, the unwritten rules in baseball. Him understanding, okay, they threw it one. I mean, I'm equivalent to him on our team, so I can expect you know to get hit. But as you mentioned, Kevin, you got your shot and you miss. You miss a six five statue standing there. You don't get a number two because because Freddie's thinking, okay, what if you miss number two? Am I gonna stand there? Am I gonna say, do you want me to turn this way? No, veteran move by. Uh, by Freddie Free, going over to talking to the manager, Lord and Nats. But at the same time, too, you know, Freddie Free understands that, look, man, we we, we still we still uh, are in the thick of this thing. We understand that we got to stay focused. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've ever known of a player to do what Freddie Free did. Like that's that's a that's a higher level of professionalism to go to the opposing manager and tell him. I mean, dude, that's some next level stuff. Now, obviously, if the manager see Freddie Free coming up to him, like. <laughs> What's up? But at the same time, I think it kind of shows it echoes throughout the rest of the team, though, Kevin, when a guy like Freddie Free, who really a man of very, very few words, right, lets his plays talk for him and understands I have to be the example, not just for me, but everybody watching. I'm, I'm showing the example to the freaking, you know, uh, to the freaking net. So I, I think for me, it just makes you love Freddie Free more and Addison Thompson is like, please hurry up and get this dude a deal done. He's doing stuff like this. Oh, my God. He's going to drive the price up just from professionalism alone. But shout out to Freddie Free, uh, you know, doing it the right way, understanding that, you know, unwritten rules of baseball happen even to the best of yeah. them. But, yeah, you only get one time to try to hit me. Ain't no two or three times. Yeah. That's not. We're not standing up here all day taking shots. That's uh, that's for sure. And the Braves trying to win a series tonight. Thankfully, the Braves tough loss last night. The Phillies did not win, so it still sits at two and a half in the East. They'll try to win the series tonight against the Nationals. First pitch just after 7 o'clock. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We're talking Georgia football with Mike Griffith, Dog Nation. He'll join us next. Get the latest on JT Daniels and more here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Thursday. Georgia and UAB coming up on Saturday, week two for the Dogs. First home game there in Athens. Joining us here from Dog Nation. Joining us uh, every Thursday, Mike Griffith joins us. Mike, welcome again. Uh, how are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks. I appreciate you coming on. What's the uh, the latest you can tell us with uh, with JT Daniels? Apparently some kind of uh, oblique injury. Yeah, I don't know. Oblique, uh, pectoral, core. I mean, there's all sorts of speculation. There's been no definitive uh, news piece or report, a lot of speculation emanating from the August 21st scrimmage where he uh, was inadvertently hit, may have aggravated something in the game, uh, led to Carson Beck getting some reps uh, with the first team, as well as JT, per the players and per uh, someone that was attending practice this week. So it's a lot of speculation right now. I mean, Mike, so, I mean, with him, with uh, JT Daniels' petition being out, are we going to be seeing uh, a lot more of Carson Beck this weekend? Yeah, don't know for sure, right? I mean, the writing's on the wall that, that Beck is, is being prepared. Uh, we know that JT's had limited reps, but, you know, sometimes there's a, a lot of times starters will get limited reps when they're getting treatment. You know, Monty Rice had limited reps all last year 
uh, as he navigated through a foot injury. You just don't know the extent of it, uh, and, and there may not be a right answer. There's not a you know it could not a definitive answer right now. You know it could be a deal where you know JT wakes up Saturday. Let's see how he feels. Mike Griffith joining us here on Three and Out. Mike, you've been around uh, this team. Big emotional win. Obviously, some people saying one of the top two or three wins that Kirby Smart has had at Georgia beating Clemson this past week. What's kind of the tenor of this team that you don't have that exhale game against UAB, who's, again, you should beat, uh, but you don't have kind of a, a more of a struggle than maybe people are anticipating with UAB? Yeah, I don't think there's ever any time to let up at Georgia just because of the competition within the team, right? There's somebody pushing you for your job at, at pretty much every, every spot. Kirby Smart's mantra is, you know, you, you only have 12 opportunities that are promised to you. Of course, unless you're Vanderbilt, then you might decide to skip a game. But most <laughs> programs are going to try to make the most of those 12 opportunities and play all those games. And, and uh, so, you know, you, there, there's never really a game you go, well, you know, let's just go out here and, and, and take it easy. I and mean, this isn't some beer league, you know, soft beer, beer league softball league where, you know, one of the games you decided to have a few extra drinks. I mean, you, you know, you, if you're Georgia and you're a championship caliber program, you need to be on point every game. Uh, you know, to your point, you know, hey, look, Georgia's lost the lesser teams before. Kirby lost to Vanderbilt his first season. Uh, Kirby lost to South Carolina in 2019. So, you know, this is a program, you know, any program in the SEC, but uh, you mentioned UAB. I mean, that's a team that's got nine starters back on defense from a number uh, seven, team, seven defense in the country. Uh, they returned their offensive line intact. So, uh, you know, this, to your point, this is a game where I think you know, Georgia needs to be dialed in, and I don't have any reason to believe they won't be. Mike, obviously, Dan Lanning, you know, and what that defense was able to do against Clemson, I mean, people say it might be uh, the greatest uh, defensive effort in, in our Georgia history, definitely the greatest defensive effort under Kirby Smart. What, is, what, what do they got for Act 2? Obviously, UAB is not going to have the same competition, uh, you know, that Clemson had, but when you talk about that front seven, you know, Walker and Davis, you know, and White and Anderson and, Smith and Dean, I mean, what's going to be their second act, especially when it's going to be hard to, you know, uh, you know, put on a performance the way they did up there in uh, Bank of America Stadium? Yeah, really impressive. And, you know, Clemson uh, quarterback DJ, I mean, PJ uh, uh you know, he's a tremendous quarterback and athlete. Desmond Ritter was too, but to your point, 16 sacks in the last two games. And, you know, UAB knows that. You know, they're going to try to, you know, probably do a little bit more to try to establish the run than Clemson did. Thompson was woefully ineffective against the run, and there was some writing on the wall. They were 11th in the ACC running the ball last year, and that was with a first-round running back. So we kind of suspected coming in that maybe Clemson's run game uh, would never really get on track and they would turn uh, one-dimensional. I think that was the exact conversation that we had on the show last week. Um, you know, UAB is going to try to do a little bit more uh, to run the ball. Uh, they'll come up with some more creative ways. They're a little bit more of a play-action team. They've got two quarterbacks they play. They've got some options, uh, and they'll try to do what they can to exploit the secondary. But as you guys pointed out, that they're done with an incredible defensive front that Georgia lines up with each week. Mike Griffith joining us here on 3 and Out with Dog Nation. And, and Mike, you look at this offense, JT Daniels, no JT Daniels, however it goes. I mean, this was an offense that showed some life late in the game. I thought really took some steps forward, putting the game away, running the football. At the end of the day, offense put up three points. What do you expect to see in terms of offensive consistency? Obviously, different level opponent, but trying to consistently get the ball in the end zone here in week two. Well, you know, a lot of it's how UAB lines up. You know, it's good that Georgia can run the ball when they need to. They'd obviously like to throw it, 
depends on who's at quarterback, depends on who's at receiver. I mean, uh, you know, you only had one receiver out there uh, against Clemson that had more than 10 catches last year. At that, Jermaine Burton uh, only, you know, practiced, you know, one-third of the practices because of injuries in the offseason. So that was a really green, inexperienced receiving core that was trying to adjust to, you know, some really great coaching from Venables, right? I mean, Clemson threw him a curveball with that uh, zone and, and eight-man drop. So, you know, Clemson did some nice things with the scheme. Uh, Georgia wasn't able to adjust because those receivers were uh, inadequate. And, and I've talked a lot about that in the offseason. I mean, JT Daniels is a gunner, but, you know, you've you got to have the receivers. And this receiving core as it stands isn't anywhere near what Alabama and LSU's was. Now, let's wait and see once Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens, and Darnell Washington get healthy. You know, then we can evaluate better. This is going to be a Georgia that will get better as the season progresses. Mike, how much does a team like George benefit from having a coach like Kirby Smart who's not going to let them, you know, uh, look too far down the road? Obviously, it's all about the postseason. It's all about winning the East, going back to uh, Atlanta and playing Alabama and, and making a college football playoff berth. But how much does he make sure that those guys keep the main thing, the main things, and don't look too far down the road? It's all about the, the next team in front of them. Well, I mean, it's four straight top ten finishes, 5-0 and against uh, top ten teams in non-conference games. Six and three against top ten SEC teams, not named Alabama. Uh, you know he's had a lot of success. You know he had a record number of guys drafted last year from Georgia with nine. This year I think there'll be twelve or more. Uh, you know the program's headed in the right direction. You know you got 170 million in new facilities, so obviously there's a lot of people buying into Kirby. Now he's just got to you know be able to convince his administration to you know put him on a level field playing field with recruiting. And, and give them the same number of home games everybody else has to recruit to. The, uh, you know, the, the Georgia and you know, today's world kind of outgrown the Jacksonville game as it's uh, just too costly to play it down there. Uh, Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and, and Mike, you look at uh, the big wins, as you mentioned, that, that Kirby had last week. And what does that do for the program as far as those season goals? Because a lot of folks said, well, maybe it doesn't matter what happens in that game because they can still win the SEC, go to Atlanta, and that seals it up. How much, though, did that win do for them in their case if they do run it out the rest of the way, win or lose in the SEC championship game potentially? Could it still get them in because they had that opening week win over Clemson? How much is kind of like the season dynamic changed because that one went in the W column? Yeah, maybe, right? Maybe if Clemson and them are vying for the last spot, I still think Georgia needs to win the SEC championship game to be assured. Um, you know, because these, the college football playoff committee uh, does abstract things. We, we don't know. It's like Kirby said, they're going to change the, you know, the, the things that they look at every year. So it's kind of a moving target. The conversation that we have in uh, December about the college football landscape will be very different than it is right now. Um, things change. There is such a thing as recency bias. It's going to be more important uh, how Georgia finishes the year. Uh, than it is how they started the year. I mean, that's that's just the nature of college football and uh, with four teams. If you had a 12-team playoff, I'd say it was huge. I'd say it was absolutely pivotal. I'd say it, it pretty much locks them in now as a top-12 team, even if they lose the SEC championship and uh, maybe even could lose one other game. But because it's still four teams, because it's still strictly the college football playoff committee, um, I, I think it's very, as I said, very abstract, and uh, there's really no certainty to it. And, Mike, even sticking with your sentiments, I mean, when you think about teams like Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, 
those guys, those teams have kind of earned the benefit of the doubt because we've seen them more often than not. How hard do you think that is to do for the dogs? Not that they're not a top five team, top two and three in recruiting top, you know, players. How hard is it to earn that benefit of the doubt with the people that actually got to make the votes to to potentially vote them in? Yeah, I don't know why Oklahoma gets the benefit of the doubt. They haven't won a college football playoff game yet, um, and they play in a really weak conference, right? So I'm not, you know, in Ohio State, I think they changed the rules in the Big Ten to get them in last year. You know, so I, you know, I, I don't think that they earn the benefit of the doubt necessarily because of the leagues they play in is not the same caliber as the SEC on a week-to-week basis. Same with the AC, for that matter. Um, but your point, I do think that Georgia gets some street cred. I, I think Georgia's a team that's looked at as a contender. It's kind of surprising. Uh, you know, I think you guys would agree with me, you know, it, it, that Georgia only having one college football playoff appearance. It sure does seem like they've had one of the top four teams more than once in Kirby Smart's tenure. So why aren't they in there? The answer is the process. The answer is you know, the Alabama hurdle, right? So we have to see how the season plays out. Let's see if Alabama wins the West. Certainly look good against Miami. Um, you know, but again, the conversation that we're having a month from now, even, uh, is going to be very different than the conversation we're having today. And Mike, how is that? How difficult is that to keep into perspective? Because obviously, week one of college football, fans who have teams that lost are, are you know flying off of cliffs, and the teams that won are like, oh, we're we're the best thing. I mean, how difficult is it to keep that in perspective? That it is one week, and no matter how good Alabama looked in week one, that may not be the case. Uh, you know, every single week, no matter how Georgia looked week one, that may not be the level they play at every single week. I mean, how hard is it to to keep the overreaction, good or bad, either way, in check after just one week of college football? Well, you guys know that. You, you live down here in the south with me, and we know what this means. We know what college football means down here. We understand that it's a part of our culture. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's healthy. I think it's great that, that alumni and fans can associate with a product that represents their state or with a player that represents their region and a school that he's at. I mean, this, this is part of America, man. And, uh, so it's real hard, but, but we make it that way, right? We, we like to talk about college football. We like to examine storylines. We like to study. We like to try to look for trends. We refer back to past battles. Um, this is a part of our culture, and again, it's something that you know that that I'm proud. I make a living on this, right? I've, I've covered college football for for 30 years. I've made this worth my while in this one lifetime that I have. I've decided that this is something to invest in, and so uh, I, I, I hope that people don't stop caring so much. You know, I care that much, and I know you guys care. And, and let's have fun with it. Let's talk football because uh, kind of makes the world go around in this neck of the woods. <laughs> Certainly does. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Mike, always good to have you on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Have a great week. Appreciate it. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out, talking Georgia football. And, again, uh, Ben, week two is going to be UAB. We'll see more, I think, what Georgia can try to do week to week here because, obviously, Clemson was a unique challenge, and they passed that test. Now, offensively, what can you do week to week? I think we saw them run the football, but – UAB obviously also watched the Clemson game, so they probably have some ideas they're going to try uh, to keep this Georgia team in uh, in check somewhat. But I think I'm interested to see how this dog offense gets rolling. As you said, nobody with over 10 career catches out there against Clemson. That's got to uh, that's going to change obviously over the course of the year. But you also got to have some guys step up and make plays. Even at, as you know, you can't say, "Well, coach, I've only got 
five catches in my career. So what? You're out there now. You got to make a play. Yeah, and I listen. Having a having a veteran experience uh, definitely helps on any team. When you start talking about not having Pickens and Burton and those guys and watching those guys, these are going to be your your key pieces. But I mean, it's a week to week type thing, Kevin. You can't get too can't get too high and too low with this thing. You got to you got to keep the main things the main thing. Keep the priority priority because Georgia knows they're going to get a better effort uh, because of who they are, not necessarily who they're playing week in and week out. But Kirby Smart, he's trying to get back to the college football playoff. But I think that if you're not a usual suspect like Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, or you know, I mean, uh, Oklahoma, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do you know uh, you're gonna have to you know uh, satisfy you know uh, certain things that maybe you do not control. But hey, UAB, they're gonna do the best they can. And if uh, and if Carson Beck is ready to go and JT Daniels dealing with an injury, you're gonna definitely see Carson Beck run out there this weekend. Appreciate Mike Griffith joining us here on the program. Also, uh, for joining us, D. Orlando Ledbetter, talking some Atlanta Falcons football. If you missed any portion of the show or missed Daryl or Mike Griffith, uh, go to ESPNCoastal.com, get a podcast, a version of the show each and every day, and we will see you tomorrow, Friday edition. High school football back. Get you ready for the big weekend of college and NFL football there as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.